Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your big Thursday Buckeye talk. Cleveland.com's Ohio State coverage team. It's me, Doug Maurice, along with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. And we are doing lots of stuff today. We're going to do Jim Harbaugh. We're going to do a lot of Jim Harbaugh. Should he be back in 2021 as Michigan's coach? You guys usually like, like when we talk Michigan. We have some good uh, survey answers from our texters on that question. We're going to talk about what we've heard from Ohio State players this week. We had a, a batch of interviews on Wednesday afternoon. We are going to reveal the winner of our chain restaurant bracket. We had the championship game between Cheesecake Factory and Texas Roadhouse. An overwhelming turnout. I think it was driven by Jim Harbaugh. I have, I and others in the past have made comparisons between Donald Trump and Jim Harbaugh, mostly in the way that sort of people react to them and they sort of uh, elicit a lot of passion uh, and they also wear baseball caps with suits sometimes. And so we linked the chain restaurant survey with a Jim Harbaugh survey and turnout went through the roof. But we'll have that. And then we got a lot of reaction to our Wednesday pod talking about Quinn Ewers and Ohio State quarterback recruiting. And every single person agreed with Nathan. And nobody agreed with me and Steven, which is not a surprise, but it's an interesting conversation. I think it elicited some strong reactions, which is, which is, you know, interesting. So it was a nice surprise after a very divisive, divisive, uh, as, as Harry Miller would probably want me to pronounce it, very divisive election day in America yesterday. That everybody united around get good quarterbacks. I'm a uniter, not a divider. That is a winning issue. Uh, with the electorate, with the Ohio State electorate, get good quarterbacks all the time is a slam dunk. So we're going to get into this. This, by the way, is we number our podcast episodes when it is the big episode. And back in the day, it, this used to be the only episode. We did one a week. And so I put a number at the front of it. Then we started doing post-game podcasts, and I didn't number that because I felt like, well, that wasn't really like a full episode. It was kind of a post-game reaction. It wasn't like the big, full, meaty thing, so we didn't number those. Then we, in April, started doing five days a week, and I still only numbered the big one, the big two-hour one each week. And the others were important, but they weren't like an episode, a full what Buckeye Talk kind of at its core is all about, which is usually often 
digging in on a theme and not just news of the day. And this is, by the numbering, episode 300 of Buckeye Talk. Now, in our system where we upload the podcast, we have well over 500 actual episodes. But this is number 300. For number 100, when we hit that mark, we had Marty Smith from ESPN came and was a special guest. I think for number 200, Ari came back and hung out for a little bit. And so I had plans for number 300, but like many things, number 300 is falling the day after a presidential election in the middle of a pandemic. So there's nothing special. It's just the regular stuff. Maybe I was maybe going to suggest that Nathan sing the theme song as part of his bet payoff. I was going to get the Mike Lewis who wrote our theme song to be on. I didn't have time to call him and ask him to be on. So there's nothing special. It's just, it's just the same old stuff. So, I think it's just like Big Ten football. Like getting to this day is its own achievement. Yes. It's special enough. So sorry. Yes. Uh, the act of existing is what's special about episode number 300 by the count. So thanks to all of you who have been along for the ride since the beginning. Thanks to those of you who just jumped on now. Thanks to those of you who joined in between. We love having you. So let's dig in on this. And I have to warn you, Nathan is in love. This is going to be, Nathan has found his Joel Klatt, I think is the way to think about this. And so he is now going to talk about a person who he finds interesting, who he enjoys speaking with. And you will hear uh, his enjoyment about his relationship with this person come through as we talk about what we learned from Ohio State interviews on Wednesday. Nathan Baird, the floor is yours. Harry Miller. Yeah, I mean, everything we could have asked for and more, I think. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that very early on, it was a lot of football questions. And then somebody asked him, I think Dan Hope maybe asked him something about using social media in the off season. And he first he was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about, you know, non-football things in this forum. And then it was just off to the races. Like you couldn't stop him. It was just, it was literature. It was um, sailing the uh, Atlantic ocean and going whaling. It was the mission trip. He took to Nicaragua with Tommy Eichenberg and why he is like a shaman basically or something. And um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's refreshing for nerds to finally hear some nerd talk from the football guys. Refreshing for nerds, Buckeye talk. Steven, you have been working on a Harry Miller story. Uh, what did you think of Harry Miller's interview performance on Wednesday? I think it was everything his mother said it would be and more. I, I literally, when I talked to his mother, Christina, a couple of weeks ago about when she knew her son, Harry, was more than just an average human being in this world, she said that that's an everyday conversation in the Miller household. And you don't, because he's the oldest child that they have, you don't really realize that all kids aren't like that until you have another child and they are absolutely nothing like that. But yeah, that's how he's always been. She, she, she's seen the video of Doug, you asking him about if he had to come in and start for Josh Myers and basically if aliens had to abduct Josh Myers, he had to be the starter and everything. She called it peak Harry Miller. That moment was peak Harry Miller. Today's moment was peak Harry Miller. When I talked to him, when they were doing the stuff with the kids at the Fiesta Bowl, that was peak Harry Miller. Yeah, they, they, she's well, well aware of that. This is what, that when you describe Harry Miller, the last thing you think of is five-star 
football player at Ohio State. So I will say I, I've been covering uh, football for longer, you guys, than you guys. And you guys how are being introduced, perhaps not for the first time, to the intellectual, likes to talk about stuff other than football, offensive lineman, which is a characteristic of football. And he is not the first. He won't be the last. But it's a, it's a little amusing for me to watch you guys go down this road for Harry Miller because he's going to be around for a while. It's only going to – by the time he is in his last year here, he is going to be speaking in iamic pentameter. Like there is not – it's just going to be – there's not going to be any football stuff. You're just going to be doing like Harry um, – if Herman Melville was a pizza topping, what pizza topping would he be? I mean, that's just all it's going to be. So this is just, you're just scratching the surface here. And Nathan, you already have, you wrote a story in like 11 minutes, Nathan. It just poured out of you. You were like, I must share Harry with the world. And you also put up a video, right? Because you wanted people to be able to see what he was saying. It was mostly a teaser for the video. And I, I told our texters there was going to be one up there. So I hope you all got to go see that. Um, those of you who are 614-350-3315, our tech subscribers. Um, and mostly it was just to get the video out there. I mean, there's some teases in there to some stuff he was talking about, but um, people just need to kind of watch this kid talk. Cause I, you're right. And I've experienced this in other sports I've covered too. Um, you know, Purdue basketball had a kid named Matt Harms. That was like, I thought a really intellectual guy. And there were some others like that. And uh, some other guys that I have covered in the past, but I, Harry's a little bit different. Harry, just in the way he presents himself, um, there, there's, there, it's, it's really genuine, um, and he's, but he's, he also, I think, but he also, I think, knows what he's kind of got going on, and he's leaning into it, and he's having fun with it. Everything about him screams he'll be an NFL player, and then by year four, he'll be like an all-pro guy, and just say, "I'm out. I'm going to buy a boat and move into an island." Yeah, maybe yeah. not year four though, and that's what I think is an interesting part of the story with him is when you eventually write it is so why, why football though? Like you're interested in all of these things that you could spend even more of your time engaging with. So why are you spending so much time on football? And I know it's a temporary thing in in the span of a life, but I want to know what it is about football that also consumes him in a way that he's consumed intellectually and musically and, and all these other things, but these, all these other passions he has, where did, why, why is football still such a prominent yeah. part of that? Did you get a chance? Did you ask him that today, or did you not get to go down that road? I had one question. I have to write something up on Nicholas Petit Frere. We're at we got three years to talk to him, but hopefully, I think Stephen will hopefully get. Oh yeah, no, that's on the list. That's that. Yeah, that's on the list of things I want to ask him about. All right, so let's get back to football. Uh, Stephen, you and I were just talking about this before we started. Master Teague was again part of the interviews on Wednesday afternoon, and you said. You thought he sort of indicated maybe this the running back rotation isn't necessarily how it's going to go all year with Master Teague and Trey Sermon sharing these carries. And it's not like he predicted anything or called anything out. But again, if Master Teague is saying that, he's not saying that because like, well, I think Trey Sermon is going to take all the carries at some point and I'll Mm -hmm. just be the backup. What did you think of how Master addressed that today, Stephen? Yeah, he got asked about splitting carries and the J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber thing. And he said oh, he'll do anything he can for the team. But I don't the way he kind of ended that answer with, you know, I, things may change or this might the situation might change as the season goes on. But either way, I'm fine with it. He didn't have to throw that out there. I think there is that idea of one. He got hurt, so they needed to go get another running back. But then he rehabbed and came back so quickly and 
right now it's a it's an even split as far as as far as series, not necessarily carries because that just that's in play calling, but it's e- even in the series. But I do think that after a few games under their belt, especially these next two games, now that they've had a season opener, a game against a quality opponent, and then another game to maybe evaluate some other rotation spots at other places. I don't know if it's going to be equal the entire time. And I don't think he thinks that either. I think the first four games of the year are, we're going to keep it even. We're going to let you guys battle it out. But if one guy clearly shows that he's worthy of these carries and the other guy doesn't, we're going to give him the carries. And right think, now, Master Teague's in the lead of that. Nathan, do you think we could get to that point where it's more like Master Teague is the number one running back and Trey Sermon is his backup? You know, maybe, and I've, I've taken some questions from readers about this uh, this week. I've had some email exchanges, and I, I pointed out to these people because they were kind of coming at it under the auspice of, like, why is Trey Sermon getting carries for this team? I'm like, well, you know, this is how they were approaching it going into the season. I did point out that it was about, a, I think it was like, what, 24-14 split in the Penn State game, something like that, 23-13. So a, a decent gap there, but I thought some of the way that Ohio State wanted to play that second half dictated that split a little bit. So in a different game, it may be still more even. The Rutgers game may end up being a more even distribution of carries. Even Kevin Wilson kind of uh, hinted at that yesterday when he – or I get confused which day these are running and which day we talk to people. Tuesday said that um, that there were just some long drives in the, in the second half of that game where Master Teague happened to be in the game for those long drives. So I think that might have played into that disparity of carries too. So I'm not prepared to like predict it. But I, I, as I, as we said coming into the season, I don't. They're, they're not going to keep a two-guy split for the sake of it if one guy is clearly outperforming the other guy. And 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 I think uh, it would not surprise me at all if Master Teague were to separate himself and and get the the lion's share of the carries. I can't remember. I I know like Buckeye Sports Bulletin did a survey before the season with people and said like make all your predictions about these things and when i looked at that i realized i think i when i had answered that i said i thought i said trey sermon would be the leading rusher but then by the time we did our thing on the podcast before the season i said master teague would be the leading rusher i'm not surprised by this i can't remember whether who you guys picked whether it was sermon or teague but it doesn't feel like it's going to be that Trey Sermon takes over it's either going to be that it you know is a split still or that they start leaning Teague from where you were Steven at the start of the season. If we just wind up that it sort of becomes master Teague show and Trey sermon is his backup. Would you be surprised by that compared to maybe where you were at the beginning of the season or, or where you are right now? Yeah, I would be surprised by that just because I, I think that they really want to do this you know, two running back system thing. They're recruiting to it at this point. Um, so I thought this was kind of a fresh start to do it when you had two guys who were brought in and neither one of them was clearly the number one back and you could coach it that way. And they were on pay on page with it from day one. That wasn't the case with JK and, and Mike Weber. Um, and so it would have been easier to do it. So I'm a little surprised that we're at this point already, but at the same time, I mean, there's a, I saw a world where it could happen, but I didn't think it was necessarily possible given that, what the passing attack is this year. You don't necessarily need to have a go-to running back. You know, and I don't, I still feel like maybe it's just me. I don't know anything about Trey Sermon, really. I don't, I don't really know what kind of guy he is. I don't necessarily, but I feel like we do know that like everybody loves Master Teague, that the coaches love the way he handles his business, 
the coaches love sort of his his attitude about things, the way he came back from rehab. And so I'm not saying they don't think that about Trey Sermon, but Master Teague's been here from the jump. He's done everything that's been asked of him every single step of the way. And not that that is why you give a guy a job, because he works hard. This isn't work hard, Bill. This is perform, Bill. But when a guy who works hard and fought back from an injury and does everything the right way and has been all in from the get-go is performing, I could imagine a world where he gets a little more, a little more, the benefit of the doubt. He's our guy. We trust him. That is not a a tough world, Nathan. That is not a a tough world for me to imagine in my head as we get to week six, week seven, week, week eight of this season. Well, I think it definitely was probably the factor of why he was the guy who took the first snaps of the season at, at running back. I think that's why he was on the field to start the season. I think it was sort of in in respect for what he'd gone through. In fact, he was already here and was kind of going to be the heir apparent to that position um, before he got hurt and they had to bring in Sermon or decided to bring in Sermon. So um, I, I agree with you to some extent. At the end of the day, though, I, I think it's just about production. I mean, this team wants to win a national championship, and I think Ryan Day is is not going to mess around with that, I th- especially when especially when neither of them right now are like we've talked about many times that JK Dobbins kind of guy that he's going to go out and just blow you away. Probably it's a different kind of production. And I think they can't afford to kind of play around with that too much. I think it's going to be who's going out and giving you the most consistent performance. And if it's master Teague and he's doing it at a more consistent level, he's going to get more carries. So again, we are going to get the Jim Harbaugh candidates to replace him at Michigan. Will he be back? Should he be back? We have a texter survey on that, and the three of us are going to dive into that pretty hardcore in the second hour of the podcast. We're still going to hit kind of a follow-up to our recruiting podcast on Wednesday. That's coming up, and again, the chain restaurant title on the line, who won it. But I do want to dig into a couple more things with our Ohio State interviews this week. Again, on Tuesday, the players were off. That was a, was that a Big Ten thing or an NCAA thing? NCAA, right? NCAA. Everybody was off for voting day. You couldn't have the players in doing stuff. So on Tuesday, we spoke with Ryan Day, Kerry Combs, and Kevin Wilson. And then we got all the players on Wednesday. I want to talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, I was in on Ryan. I was not on for Kerry and Kevin Wilson on Tuesday. But we got a couple defensive players on Wednesday. uh, Wednesday, Tommy Togiai, Pete Werner. Nathan, what was the vibe that you got, particularly from Kerry Combs, and then I, I want to talk about the defense overall. Then I want to dig in a little bit on the Cam Brown injury. But defense overall first, I thought Tim May, who is a great X and O's guy and always has been on the Ohio State beat, asked a smart question of Pete Warner today about, hey, it, it feels like is this a little more of a, like an NFL kind of defense, the way you're attacking things and being a little more multiple. And Pete Warner was kind of, kind of agreeing to that. Nathan, what's sort of the state of the defense two games in we had talked so much in the offseason what's the scheme going to look like how are they going to have these guys play who are going to be the playmakers what's the sense you got from Kerry Combs of where they are yeah I mean I think that's probably the best way to describe it I think he was asked about that too and 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 admitted that that I think that influence is there that that um his two years I think with the Titans have affected the way he is coordinating his defense in a way that it would probably look differently if he hadn't been away for the past two seasons. Not that football is maybe that vastly different, but I think it just opened his eyes to some new concepts and some new ways of doing things. I think you're seeing that, first of all, in just the way that they have 
you know, shifted their personnel around. Now that's going to have to change a little bit with Cam Brown taken out of the mix, but just that difference between their base defense, the nickel defense that they were playing. We saw this past game against Penn State. They were more willing to start putting Baron Browning up there as that rush um, edge guy with the Rushman package. So he wanted to be more multiple just in terms of personnel, but I think they've been more multiple in terms of looks. I mean, they've been able to to mix it up a little bit and, and bring some different fronts at, at people um, not, you know, switching too much, I guess, between like crazy fronts or anything, but just, 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 just keeping offenses off balance. I think that was re- really, he talked about it coming into the season that that was going to be sort of a, a, a goal this year was to be less predictable to kind of be more aggressive, more on the offense on defense. I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think it's going to work. I mean, I think the, you know, Hey, Kerry Combs has never coordinated a defense before, at least like quite like this, right. What's going to happen. Seems like they're getting a handle on what Kerry Combs wants them to do. And they have the, the chance to have it work. And again, there were a lot of immediate 2018 comparisons from our texters based basically off the first couple series against Nebraska. And, you know, nobody's saying that now. So it feels like they have some playmakers at defensive tackle. Uh, it feels like Pete Werner and Baron Browning are both settling into those roles. They switch jobs at linebacker. They're settling in. And I did think, Stephen, you did the champions post, I think, on Monday. Is that right? Was it yeah. basically the whole defense were champions from the Penn State game except the cornerbacks? Wasn't it that how that broke down? I, I, but But yet – it doesn't feel like anyone's panicking at quarterback at cornerback cornerback on the defense, but I do want to address Cam Brown, the unfortunate Achilles injury. Ryan day was asked about it. Kerry Combs was asked about it as they try to fill in here. Steven, how, is that going to be difficult to replace Cam Brown? Because he obviously does have a role, did have a role in their nickel nickel defense and they're going to have to adjust. Yeah. I, I don't know if the word is difficult, but it'd just be interesting to see, he was on the nickel. He was in the nickel defense on third downs, but in the first two downs, it would usually be Marcus Williamson. So does he just get those snaps as well and just not come off the field as a slot corner? I know Ryan Day threw out the name Tyreek Johnson, which we'll see. I, I think that was more of a, a challenge to step up to the plate than it was that, hey, he's just going to step into this role now because there's an opening for him. Um, so that, that'll be interesting when they play, when they get to the playoff. And they're playing a team who has a quality slot. Does Sean Wade step into that role and be a guy who just follows the best receiver on, on another team? I mean, regardless of what happened against Pitt State, is that now back on the table? Is Josh Proctor going to step in and play some nickel corner there? I, I, there's a lot of possibilities there, but the Tyree Johnson name just seems more like a, hey, you need to actually start producing now because we actually might need you to play. I mean, clearly Marcus Williamson, they could just keep Marcus Williamson on the yeah. field on third down. And I – I don't know exactly. I'm guessing maybe Marcus does some good things against the run from that spot, like on first and second down. But when it's like, Hey, it's, they're clearly going to throw here. Maybe cam brought a little more coverage skill, right. To that, like on an obvious passing down. So, but Marcus is out there playing every other, you know, the first two, two Mm -hmm. downs, certainly he could do it. I mean, it's a great spot. I mean, if Tyreek Johnson's going to give you anything, again, this is a guy who's a former top 50 national recruit. There's now a spot for him before he was just a backup, right? Not that you're just a backup, but that was his role. He was a backup cornerback on this team. He would play when somebody else couldn't play. Well, now there's somebody who can't play. I'll be curious to see 
if he might slide into that role there. And they mentioned your guy. I mean, Steven has lots of guys. They mentioned your guy, Legend Cavazos, a little mm-hmm. bit in that conversation, right? That again, I, I don't know. There's not a, I mean, the point is there's not a ton of options. I think when Ryan Day was asked about it, it's like, well, who could step in? He said, Tyreek Johnson, obvious. And then he said, Ryan Watson, Legend Cavazos, who are freshmen, mm-hmm. because there's like literally no other cornerbacks. Cam but, Martinez. No, the freshman. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the, right. Then it's just. Well, who else? Who else can you say in that conversation? I did think at least, and I think Legend got a snap or two last week, Stephen. At least, no, uh, Legend's put, name was out there. Legend, yeah, Legend's hurt, so he's not. Oh, he's not available. We'll say that because we don't actually know what it is, but he's not available. So he didn't, but Lathan Ransom did. Oh, he Lathan got some Ransom. Snaps at, okay. Yeah, he got some snaps at. He's a safety, but he got snaps at corner, which is part of having the safeties and the cornerbacks in the same room. They can learn some of the same stuff and same terminologies, but also. You get into a situation like this, or, I mean, COVID is happening right now where somebody has to be ready at all times. It probably is smart to have, you know, whoever isn't your starting safety. So not Mark, Marcus Hooker, having everybody behind him be ready to play corner as well, just in case something happens. And so now we're in that position. Did I just get legend? Did I get legend Cavazos and Lathan Ransom mixed up for like five minutes there? Uh, Less than five minutes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Their seconds. names, their freshmen and their names start with L and they're both and from they're Arizona, both right? Isn't Legend well, from Arizona too? Legend's from Texas, but Southwest. Okay. I'm going to stop talking now. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying incorrect things. Okay. The, the other thing. So I think we're getting a read on the running back room. We talked to Chris Olave on Wednesday and Steven, I think you're going to write about them. Like Chris Olave is good. He's still good. He and Garrett are really good. I did see uh, something on Twitter. PFF, uh, the PFF college site ranked their, I think, top 30 receivers in college football right now. I don't know if either of you guys have seen this. I was going to forward this to you, Stephen, for your story. Mm -hmm. Do you want to guess? I don't know. if Did you see it, Stephen? I haven't seen it, but you said top 30. Top 30, do you want to guess? I'll tell you that both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are in the top 30. Do you want to guess where PFF ranked those two guys? I'm going to say Chris Olave is top seven and maybe Garrett's top 15 because they're haters. Give me a number. Give me a number. I'll say Chris is five, Garrett 12. All right, Nathan, you're up. Five and 12 from Steven. What's your guess? I'm going to say six for Alave and 11 for Wilson. Pretty good guesses by both of you. Chris Olave four, Garrett Wilson, eight. So kind of some respect there, even though Steven was anticipating the hate. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, it's uh, Anthony Treach, Anthony Treach, who, who does a lot of their st- uh, college stuff for PFF. Devonta Smith from Alabama, number one. Rondale Moore from Purdue, number two. And again, Jalen Waddles hurt, or he would be number one. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, three. And again, Rondale Moore hasn't played yet, but he's going to play. So Devonta Smith, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, and then it's Olave. That's pretty good for Olave. I mean, I'm not, you know, if you want to fight over, I mean, those guys, those first three guys are no doubt about it. First round picks by every draft analyst you'll find. So that's really good for Olave. Five is Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. Six is Elijah Moore from Old Miss. Seven is Kadarius Tony from Florida. And this might Nathan might quibble with this. Eight Garrett Wilson. Nine David Bell from Purdue. But I also think I saw Greg Doyle from 
the Indy Star referenced David Bell as like the best receiver in college football in the column. So yeah, he was like, asking when the last time a receiver won the Heisman, which I thought was maybe a little far for a guy who's played Iowa and Illinois. Yeah. Um, but That's David Bell is generally good. I mean, I, I it would be a lot of fun if Purdue's offense could go against Ohio State's defense this year, I think. That's just some red meat for the base right there. That's just some red meat for the Purdue <laughs> yeah. base. David Bell, Heisman winner. And Greg Doyle legitimately is one of the best sports columnists in America. So um, so I thought four and eight's pretty fair. And no surprises from Chris Olave. They're just going to keep tearing people up, right, Stephen? I mean, it's like, I don't even know at this point. Some people were asking Chris Olave about, again, like his recruiting story, which is a miraculous story of being recruited in San Diego because Ryan Day went to go see the quarterback at his high school and they needed someone to catch passes from the quarterback. And they were like, well, Hey, Chris Olave, come out and do it. Ryan day was like, who is that guy? So that's a miraculous story, but they're just good. I, again, this is, and I want to get into this very quickly. It's going to be hard. There are better stories to write about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. than they are good, but I'm not sure what they are right now. Cause they are yeah. good. And I've written two stories already this season. No, I've written three stories in two games about the receivers and all of the stories were, they are good. So Steven, maybe you'll find something better to spin, or maybe it's just 25 different angles of they are good. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I think the angle of they're good and Ohio state is, is allowing them to have the numbers to back that up is a better way to put it because they are not married at all to that six man rotation anymore at all. Even like it started last year with not having anybody for KJ Hill to rotate with, and it was just five guys. It is Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and everybody else falls in line. Even though Jamison Williams is just the third starting wide receiver, but he is a lot closer to what those four freshmen are in terms of usage and how he's viewed than he is the Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave right now. And they're allowed to have these explosive numbers. And I think that was part of the argument when we were having a discussion of Ohio State having 2,000-yard receivers of why it might not be possible is because of the rotation more than it was because of the talent level of those two and then Justin Fields as a quarterback. If they're not married to that anymore, that's back on the table. And if they're not going to be married to that moving forward, anything can happen. Because, like, Michael Thomas was good, and they, yeah. never, th- they never threw it to him. So it was yeah. like Michael Thomas didn't had one third as many catches as Corey Coleman because they didn't throw it to him. But like, I think that's to your, that's a very interesting point that you make that is important. And I want to reference again, what is the best piece of journalism on the Ohio state beat every week compiled by Matt Gutridge and American hero, Dan hope at 11 warriors, the 11 warriors snap count post last week, snap counts for the receivers. Chris Olave, 80 Chris Olave played 80 snaps. That would have been unheard of a couple years ago. Garrett Wilson, 70. Jamison Williams, 36, which is exactly what you're saying, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Jackson Smith, Najigba, 23. Julian Fleming, one. So I do not, that is not where our heads were. I don't know that's where anybody's heads were, but I'm not disagreeing with it. I don't think anybody's disagreeing with it. It's just, I think we all had some level of assumption of like that rotating is what they do. And actually, as we're finding out the rotation, some of this rotation stuff is a little bit more of a remnant of urban that I think was a little bit kind. I mean, urban rotated for sure. The last couple of years. I mean, that was no doubt about it. And yes, you adjust to your personnel, but it's like a second year of Ryan day. We're figuring out, what are the remnants that aren't really going to stick around? 
but again, but also, and I'm just trying to be realistic in this stuff. And I'm, I understand that it's all about Ohio state. And again, we'll get into the recruiting stuff a little bit later. I don't know if it gets 25% more difficult to recruit receivers. If it's like, well, we're not rotating six anymore. Cause when it's like, Oh, you just wrote a post the other day, Stephen, that was very well read by a lot of people. Could they have the number one receiver in three straight classes? If you're only playing two, they're doing a lot of 12 personnel. So there's not always a third receiver on the field and they're not really rotating. I don't know if it makes that any more difficult, but again, to the reaction we got to the Quinn Ewers podcast, they they know what's up, bring them all in, light them all up. And if you don't like the playing time transfer and you'll be fine. But I, I don't know, Steven, like, like 20% more difficult. Maybe if you think you aren't going to have as many opportunities at snaps. I'd say no, um, just because of something you kind of alluded to. You you do what your personnel provides you to do, but you're also not married to anything. 36 of the 55 targets have also been to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave as well, just to point out there. But I don't know if when you think about the – Urban would have just rotated these six guys. That's what just happened. Regardless of what – that's just how it would have been because that's what Urban did. I don't know if that's the smartest move when you're talking about Let's just say three because Mookie Cooper is not in this conversation right now. Let's just say with G. Scott, Jackson Smith, and Jigman, Julian Fleming, to rotate them with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams in a situation where they didn't get a spring and it's a lot of catch up and it's a lot of things they just missed out on. But also, you've got two guys who are probably first round wide receivers and you've got a veteran tight end group who are pretty good at what they do. So since you know that's probably what your strength is in 2020, you use that. And that's why the tight ends get six t- catches against Penn State. That's why you're seeing Garrett Wilson be in the slot, but then also move back outside when they go 12 personnel. That might not be the same in 2021 when if things get back to normal, knock on wood, you still got all that talent in the wide receiver room. And then depending on what Jeremy Rucker does, you might not have the same experience and the same talent level in the tight end room. So you might be able to go back to that rotation, but this year specifically Ryan day has shown the last two years, as a matter of fact, that I am married to what my personnel is not necessarily to what my philosophy is. That's a great point. I mean, there are a lot of things in place that you have two older receivers who are awesome that all your young receivers were set back by the pandemic that you have a veteran quarterback that you're going to maximize and that you have all these tight ends who you can lean on. Those are four very specific reasons that might be specific to this year, Mm -hmm. the pandemic, especially that they just didn't get a chance to get their feet under them, that this might not be indicative. I think maybe my assumption was, well, despite all those things, they'll rotate anyway, because rotating receivers is what they do. They might just be making a one year adjustment to the reality of now to the personnel of now And then when things are normal in all those other ways, they'll go back to that rotation. I think you make a very good point though, of there are really a lot of things that would kind of make this obvious. It's like, Oh, what an odd decision to throw it to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson all the time. It's like, what do you mean it's an odd decision? Any person with a brain would do this. And it's like, yeah, but you guys rotate. So you make a very good point. All right. Last thing I want to touch on just sort of from the Ohio state side of things, as we get ready, we haven't said their name yet on the podcast. Sometimes we do like to brag. I've liked to brag in the past of being able to get through an entire week of an Ohio State preview, talking about them, writing about them, and not mention the name of the opposing team that they're going to play on Saturday because that's not what it's all about. It doesn't matter. I will say it. Rutgers. Got a couple complacency questions. Got a couple complacency questions. Complacency alert. 
Can I just ask, and I'm not a beat writer anymore. I'm just an old man who sits in a big blue rocking chair and spouts off. It's your beat, you guys. Out of curiosity, are we planning any complacency stories this week as the Buckeyes get ready for Rutgers? Not from me. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Go you're read them elsewhere. You're then. welcome. To, you're welcome to write it. <laughs> yeah, I am. It's like the last thing you want to write too. <laughs> it's like one of those things. that's always like, are you worried about complacency? It's like I don't know. What if we are complacent? We're we gonna do win by forty instead of sixty. I mean, what was it? What would complacency look like? I guess complacency would look like last year when everybody thought when I wrote where they win by a hundred and like they only won by thirty-five, and everybody was like, oh my god, what happened? And it's like it doesn't matter. So, oh. Some complacency. So some hot, hot complacency journalism coming your way at places other than Cleveland.com, but not here. There's there's a place for that. You know, when you get those games like the ones that have sometimes caught them before, you go back a few years to the Iowa game, a a team that had been underachieving, Ohio State maybe not taking them as seriously, whatever, that makes sense. But like, you're wrong. Like, you're right. The Rutgers, the talent differential here is just so significant that I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think you've also got a bunch of guys who have, uh, who need, good film and have a limited amount of time to put it together this year. And that's probably something that they're reminded of on a weekly basis. And it's at home. Part of that complacency thing is you're going into another team stadium. They're not doing that this week. And it's at night. They like playing at night. I think, I think a part of it, like some of those weird road games, you know, noon at Purdue when it's an 11, you know, it's a, it's 11 central. You're going to Purdue. There's nobody in the stands. And then like, it's like, but, uh, but still, no matter how complacent Ohio state is, they have to be playing somebody who's capable of taking advantage of the complacency. And that's not this week. So we're going to pass on that story. I do. We want to do this a little bit more. We are working on a way for you guys who listen to us. Cause at the moment we think a lot of you listen to us and not some of you don't read us, which is fine. There's a lot of podcasts that I listen to the podcast and I don't read the website very much. And we understand that's how the world works. And we try to give you our Ohio state coverage in a variety of formats, which is why we have the text, which is why we have the podcast, which is why we write at cleveland.com slash OSU, which is why we do videos. We do videos more often when it's not a pandemic, but we like to get out to different audiences, the same kind of analysis, but present it in different ways. We would want to try to, if you are an engaged Ohio state listener here who enjoys Buckeye talk, but doesn't find yourself going to cleveland.com slash OSU all that much. We would like to encourage you to come check us out when you think something is interesting and worthwhile. We're working on a way and I don't, I don't want to talk about it yet. I was, I've been talking with my bosses about it. Our company is working on it. There may be a much easier way for you guys just to consume this stuff. And I hope we get there soon and we can talk about it. But Steven, a story or two that you already have up this week or that you are planning to write this week that the people listening to this might want to go to cleveland.com slash OSU to check out. Yeah. You kind of mentioned in the story about the Ohio state chances of getting the number one wide receiver in the country in three state recruiting classes. That's been up since Monday. I would encourage you guys to go check that out because there are some kind of some rules that have to be applied to them being able to actually pull this off, especially since none of them are in-state players, but as we talked about with the Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson situation, I'm going to be comparing it to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And the fact that you've got two guys, you've got a Heisman level quarterback and his best two receivers complement each other because one's on the inside as a slot guy who at times can be moved outside depending on the matchups and whatnot. And then you've got an outside guy 
which was Jamar, Jamar Chase for uh, Joe Burrow. It's Chris Olave for Justin, Justin Fields and how they complement each other and how they've come together after a year of being together and seeing what that might look like. And now as the two stars of that wide receiver room, how comparable it is to what LSU was doing, but not necessarily with the numbers, but really kind of the percentage of how often they're targeted in comparison to everybody else that's on the roster. When you look at all that talent LSU had, and you look at all the talent that Ohio State had, that'll be up on Friday. That'll be up on Friday, a comparison of this Ohio State passing attack to the best passing attack in the country last year. Nathan, what do you got brewing in that bared brain of yours? Two things that, that may be up actually as early as Thursday morning. Um, one is a, a profile on Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, talk to his high school coach. I'm talking to his mom um, as soon as we're done here tonight and just kind of getting the the inside scoop on what he went through to get to this point where he, you know, everyone talks about, we've talked about it so many times about how he was kind of biding his time or maybe not, maybe he uh, should have been farther along and, and what was the situation. And, and, and so how did he handle that? But then also more specifics on exactly uh, how many, what it was that he shoved into his body this summer that got him up to 315 pounds and made him the, the offensive lineman he is right now. Cause everyone we've talked to has said that it's that added weight that has kind of taken his game to another dimension. And also um, a piece on Tommy Togiai and just about how, you know, a couple, you know, a month ago we were talking about how basically just how he needed to transfer from becoming, from being a, a depth piece into just sort of a reliable starter. And then lo and behold, he actually might be the best player on this defense right now. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, uh, headlines that would be like never prepared for failure npf like i'm trying to think of like npf headlines for you you know so you can really lean into that so oh. we'll, we'll uh we'll uh you know keep uh, brainstorming on that one put that in the hopper put that in the hopper or maybe burn that one in the hopper uh i asked pete warner about his neck again and I might write about Greg Schiano, but also the other thing is I'm on 10 podcasts a week and I don't write anymore. So maybe I'll have a story this week. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Now I'll probably write something. It's Rutgers week. How can I skip out on Rutgers week? So again, 7.30, is it 7 or 7.30 or 8 or 8.30 Saturday night? When's the game? I don't even know. I'm not going. I think 7.30. I, I think it's 7.30. Yeah, 8.30 is a crazy start time. for. We show up so early that it, uh, yeah, well, it's 8.30 really somewhere. Matter. That's fair. Yeah, James but we always Lord get there two hours before, so it's seven thirty p.m. Eastern. And our friend James Laurinaitis is on the call for the Big Ten Network, so make sure you guys tune into that. Stephen and Nathan will be there. I will be eating chilies on my couch. Speaking of chilies, we're going to come back after the break. The championship of the not chain speaking of chilies. <laughs> yeah, not speaking of chilies. <laughs> watch that. Do you one. think do if you do you think you if you do, do that enough weeks in a row, chilies will actually give you a endorsement and then you'll be stuck having to do this every week for the rest of your career stuck i i push back against the characterization of stuck <laughs> you're right sorry you'll get to do yeah. this every saturday for the rest of your career the honor you, the honor of eating chilies yeah. every saturday when he moves to orlando he's exclusively looking for condos that are built above chilies yep yeah i mean i think i can't can you imagine i'm just gonna live i don't want to fast forward through my life but it's, it's coming. I'm going to live near Disney World and eat chilies three times a week. I'm so excited. Chain Restaurant Bracket, the final. Cheesecake Factory, Texas Roadhouse. And we're going to revisit a little bit of what we didn't get to, uh, some of the recruiting questions. And then we got responses from the Wednesday podcast on Quinn Ewers. And then after that, Jim Harbaugh, should he 
be done as Michigan's head coach. Thanks to you guys for listening to the numbered number 300 episode of Buckeye Talk. We'll be right back after this. All right, so the championship round was Texas Roadhouse versus Cheesecake Factory. And I did not reveal my seeds when I did the bracket because I did not want to influence things. I will tell you that Texas Roadhouse was a one seed. It was the fourth one seed in my bracket. And Cheesecake Factory was a three seed because I think it's too expensive. And I, it was hard to get people to sort of take that into account because I just don't, I think you have to think of bang for your buck and just like, Hey, it's not just because a chain restaurant experience is not like, where would you want to go once? It's like, where would you want to go repeatedly? And it's like, do you want to go to cheesecake factory repeatedly? It's, yeah. They have a gigantic menu. They have cheesecake, but also like, do you want to drop like $31 on dinner at a chain restaurant? Every time you go out, it's like, no, you don't want to do that. So I factored that into my seating. I'm not sure it was factored into how people voted, but people can vote however they want, except when they vote against Chili's and they get yelled at. But Chili's did not make it. This championship round, just a boatload. I love it. I mean, it's like really the two things. We talk about football year round. The two things that get people fired up the most to vote are food and Jim Harbaugh. Honestly, it is like you can't stop people when you give them those two things. So Cheesecake Factory versus Texas Roadhouse. Did you guys see the text I sent out? Because I did reveal it to the texters. Did you guys see it? Or should I have you guess? Just just who won or the vote total? Who won? I, I did the vote total. I did see who won. Okay. Yeah, I saw who won. Okay. Yeah. So no guessing. I always like when we do the guessing. I don't know if people like it or not. It makes me feel like I'm on a game show. You got to give us a spoiler alert ahead of time then, though. Be like, just yeah. don't don't look at that don't text. Look at the text. At the, at the top of the text, I said, spoiler alert, delete this if you don't want to know. But I guess I should have said Stephen and Nathan, especially you. The winner is... You didn't say... Oh, you, you buried it down inside the first paragraph. Oh. So yeah. by the time you actually scroll down <laughs> to where it says, don't read this if you don't want it spoiled, Did I've already seen the vote like total. You forgot who texted out. But I did... Well, it's hard because the texts kind of fit in your screen, the whole thing. I should have sent two separate texts and said the second text is coming. Ignore it if you don't want to see it. I'll do that next time. I like I hate spoiling things. Although I did, I read um I think we talked about it here before. I read horror movie synopses on Wikipedia and spoil those because I don't want to go to a horror movie and I don't want to see it, but I'm curious to find out. Oh, the murderer. The murderer was the raccoon. That's interesting to me. And then also the masked singer. I have no interest. I cannot, I have less than zero interest in watching one minute of The Masked Singer, but I do want to know when it's over, who are these D-list celebrities that they got to put on mascot costumes and sing? And I am constantly shocked by how many actual singers get like beaten in the competition by like Mark Sanchez. And I can't imagine being an actual... There was a season where Busta Rhymes was the first guy out. And Barry Zito, former Oakland A's rotation member, finished like fourth. And if you're like a musician and you think to yourself, my God, I got beaten by Barry Zito. I don't know how you go on with your life. But I think he was like the Harry Miller of baseball at the time. Wasn't he like kind of a, didn't he play music and stuff he bronson arroyo there's always some pitcher that with an acoustic guitar he's barry zito it's like I, in the major league charter 
that Abner Doubleday wrote in this 18 whatever. And I was just, I was joking with my friend, and this is only for people who care about like pitching rotations of the early 2000s. I was just imagining Ken Jeong just like trying to guess who it is and shouting out, Mark Mulder, Mark Mulder. And it was like, oh, it was Barry Zito. Like I got the wrong Oakland A's rotation member when I was guessing who's in the mascot head. So I don't even know what I was talking about, but I don't, I, I don't like spoiler alert. I don't like spoiling things, except I do like spoiling the mass singer and horror movies. So the winner after that long, long drawn out process is Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse beats the Cheesecake Factory 54% to 46%. And I got to say, they were a one seed. The other one seeds, Chili's was the overall one seed. Olive Garden was the second one seed. Red Lobster was the third one seed. And Texas Roadhouse was the, was the top seed of the steakhouses, was the fourth number one seed. This is a very surprising result to me. 54-46, but not necessarily that Texas Roadhouse beat Cheesecake Factory, but that Texas Roadhouse won. I guess people like steak, and that doesn't surprise me. But when I just think chain restaurants that I love, boom, put them in my head. This is not Texas Roadhouse, although I like it and I go there, just does not pop in my head the way Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Chili's, P.F. Chang's, a couple other places like that go. So Nathan, that Texas Roadhouse is the winner of our 32 chain restaurant bracket. What do you think? Surprising winner or not that surprising? Steak one. Who, who's shocked by that? I'm actually not that surprised by it. My, my buddies in, in Lafayette, when we would, like a couple, three of us would go out for dinner. Um, I got guys that lived with me at the time, like a couple times a year, Texas Roadhouse was where we went. Like of all the places you could go in a, a fairly big Midwestern uh, city, that was where we went. Because it was like, if you didn't have a real sophisticated um, way of looking at food, I suppose, um, it was, you could get something appeals to everybody there but it's i mean it's it's a combination think of our demographic like it's a combination of steakhouse so you can feel like you're going there and getting like real food but then also like if you go in there and you're wearing um a ball cap and um, a hoodie you haven't washed in two months and shorts and flip-flops with socks you fit right in like it's a very casual place but you're the the food is still really tasty and they've got those cinnamon butter the the, the whatever those rolls are that that really, I, honestly, that puts him over the top. That that's like their Jimmer Fredette or whatever. Although he didn't win a national championship, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's that's like the shining star, and then you just have to like that. He's the dazzler, and then you just have to fill in around him with solid role players. No, I think that I think that is interesting. I mean, yeah, I think I think the I think that's a, like the the cinnamon butter with the rolls are like the three point shooter. But then you've got like the, there's just dead cows lined up in a in a case. Yeah. Just just murdered cows. Just pick which murdered cow you want. That's like your go-to. That's like an inside player. That's like Jared Sullinger. You run your offense through that stake. And then you've got the cinnamon bun, three-point shooter. And then I think the underrated, your sixth man is peanuts on the floor. Peanut shells everywhere is just kind of gets you over the top that like f- six minutes into the game, your starters are getting a little bit tired peanuts on the floor check into the game and it gives you a little boost so the way you're talking about it nathan maybe i'm not surprised that texas roadhouse actually won here steven where are you on texas roadhouse i think saying that peanuts on the floor of the six men is a perfect example 
because sometimes your six man can have 30 points randomly in a playoff game, but then also they'll have nights where you want them to stop shooting the ball and they won't do it. I like shoes, and the last thing I need is peanuts in my shoe because I'm stepping on peanuts the entire night. And those are the nights where, you're, where maybe something else has already irritated you and you just want a nice steak or a nice burger or a nice cinnamon roll. And you walk into there and the first thing you hear is a crunch on a peanut and that sends you over the top. And now you're giving the waiters hell and they don't deserve it, but it's I, not I their get, fault because they didn't yeah, put I the get, peanuts on the floor. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I agree with him wholeheartedly. Like, I feel like you win in spite of the peanuts on the floor if you're really? Texas Roadhouse. Because, yeah. number one, number one, I can't go to Texas Roadhouse because my wife is one of these peanut kids, and I can't – she's allergic, and she's terrified of the place. I can't go to Texas Roadhouse anymore, basically, with her anyway. So, um, And then, B, you've already got the rolls. I don't need, like, a, a separate now additional um, – especially just a bucket that anybody could have had their fingers in. Like, I don't need that. I don't need that. So that's like, that's like that. The peanuts on the floor are the five-star recruit that didn't pan out, but you've still got to give him uh, minutes. J.R. Smith, you love him because sometimes he'll hit a big three against the Warriors in game seven. But then also he forgets that, you are tied and you're running around with your head cut off and you just cost your team the fr- game one of an NBA finals. Peanuts on the floor absolutely has no idea what the score is. That is absolutely None. correct. <laughs> the other thing is, I don't know in the COVID era where we are with the whole peanut, peanut pail on the table all day. Yeah. With just yeah. people reaching in, and there's like 19 different people who have reached into that same box. I would imagine you get a baggie been, now. Yeah, I don't, maybe the peanuts have been swept up. I haven't been to a Texas Roadhouse since the pandemic started. I mean, I know it's not the same because you're eating the peanuts that are inside the shell. So technically, they're not touched by other people. But just imagine, like, if you went to a Mexican restaurant, they just had a big bucket of tortilla chips on the table that they never changed and until it was empty. And then they went and scooped up another big and then put it on the table. And then you just have, like, weeks worth of people reaching in and pulling out chips and dipping them. Like, even if, even if no one had ever heard of COVID, even if communicable diseases didn't exist, nobody's putting up with that. I, the so peanuts many. on the floor, I don't get it. I, I would still vote Texas Roadhouse really high if they had never thought of putting peanuts out. There are just so many things that happen in this world that you don't realize are disgusting until you're in a pandemic. And then you're thinking, why were we ever doing this to begin with? You guys, we watch TV shows, my wife and I, all the time. And something we'll be watching people like just standing next to each other, talking close to them and be like, what are they doing? What they? <laughs> They're insane. Somebody's got to wear a mask, you know, or like or just someone coughs and you're like, oh, it's COVID. Like, so it's become like this little running joke from everything we watch. I definitely have been in Mexican restaurants, though, where there's like a communal chip station and you go up and scoop your own chips and put them in your own bucket and bring them back to your table. I definitely have been there for that. And I've been to, I've been to, I think like uh, Moe's even has like a communal salsa station and you go and yep. get your own salsa. It's like a salsa buffet. But I don't know if you like it. Once the pandemic's over, the whole thing about like chips at your table that are just there all day. I would like to open a restaurant that does that if you're OK with me stealing your idea, because you're like, why would you have that? And I'm like, why don't they have that? I want that. I want a bucket want a of chips, trough. a chip trough, all day chip trough. Just just graze your way through. So congratulations to Texas Roadhouse. I will say I will say in the end, I think there's a very good point that you have both made. You can go to Texas Roadhouse in your church clothes after church 
at like one o'clock on a Sunday and you can go to Texas Roadhouse in a tank top and a backwards baseball cap on a Tuesday night and you feel fine either way. And I will say in the end, I'm not sure there's a better mid-price meal than like a $13.99 steak with two sides. And you get a, a, a baked potato or a salad or some vegetables, whatever you want. And then you get the free bread. And whether you want the peanuts or not, I mean, that is in terms of quality and bang for the buck. I do think Texas Roadhouse rates very high. If you asked your daughters separately on their birthdays where they wanted to go, and one of them said, you know, I think I'd like to go get a steak. I just feel like it's kind of special. Let's go to Texas Roadhouse. And then the next months later, you ask the other one, hey, where do you want to go for your birthday? And they're like, I don't know. Maybe let's just do something casual. How about Texas Roadhouse? And they'd both be right. I am going to effort a Texas Roadhouse spokesman on this podcast at some point, because right now we're doing Texas Roadhouse commercials. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to me, you make when you come back from the pandemic and you show people walking in in their church clothes, and then you show people walking in in flip-flops and tank tops, and it's like, no matter who you are or how you look, Texas Roadhouse is home. Dead cows for everyone. That is a winning pitch every single time. So, I actually feel better about this now. I feel better about uh, the final four surprised me. I thought the lob was strong. The lob is a very specific kind of thing. I thought PF Chang's was a two seed for me. I love PF Chang's. I think it's a very good Asian food chain restaurant. Olive garden shocked me. I can't believe Olive garden went down as early as they did. And of course I've made my feelings clear about Chili's. but in the end, a one seed does win. Congratulations to Texas roadhouse. Speaking of one seeds, Quinn Ewers. Nobody agreed with us, Stephen, and I guess we can read through a couple things, some moderately strong pushback of like, what is wrong with you people in terms of Stephen and I having any issue with this. From the 480, listening to the pod, Doug's point is to recruit a five-star every two years and use Clemson as the example. What if the five-star is a miss? Hunter Johnson as the example. If they don't get Trevor and then wait for, and then their dynasty comes to a screeching halt if they don't get Trevor Lawrence. They don't beat Alabama and Ohio State with a guy like that. I said in an earlier text, but these five stars are still only like a 50% hit rate to be top picks. And if you miss, you either have a, 20, a, two, a player in the 200s or a guy who isn't really a guy. Tough spot to be in from the 480. Um, 614. I'm sorry, Doug and Steven, but Nathan is 100% correct on the quarterback conversation on today's pod. You take the potential superstar talent, just take a step back from the situation and picture how absolutely crazy it sounds to choose to pass up on a potential next Fields or Lawrence. That would be ludicrous, especially when now more than ever you need a superstar quarterback to win a national championship. You take the talent, have them compete, choose the best guy, and deal with the consequences. It's worth it for a Lawrence or a Fields. Also, these kids understand nowadays, if you go to a top-tier college, you're going to have to compete for every inch of a job. I think you're underestimating the maturity of some of these elite recruits. They get it. That's from Mitchell W. Um, that was absolutely the overwhelming idea. And, Stephen, I, I am not surprised, but – do we have any final thoughts on kind of what we said for an hour on Wednesday when, when Nathan clearly has the people on his side here? I'm not surprised most people agree with Nathan Baird because these are Ohio State fans. And if they can get a chance to get the next Trevor Lawrence, they're going to go – they want the next Trevor Lawrence. I, I'm going to say it again. My point is, yes, you want to go get the best guy, but there is a way to go about this to where it doesn't backfire. And to the point of, all right, what if one of your five stars every two year misses? Well, the transfer portal can work that way too, because Tate Martell was a top 50 player. 
and he was a clear miss. And so what did Ohio State do? They went to the transfer portal and got another five-star and ended up being Justin Fields. The transfer portal can work both ways. Ohio State can can use the pitch of, hey, come get developed by us, and then you can transfer out of here if you don't win the job here. But they can also work where if there's a miss, Ohio State can just go use the transfer portal to fix whatever that miss is. They did it with Justin Fields, and to a lesser degree, they did it with Jonah Jackson when they brought him in for Rutgers when they needed a left guard. And they did it with Trey Sermon, and whether he's playing up to – to the way he needs to be playing or not is a d- different conversation. But the fact of the matter is they felt like they needed to go get a running back and they went to the transfer portal and got one. So the transfer portal works both ways. I just think, yes, the, the best case scenario is you end up with Quinn Ewers as your starting quarterback. The worst case scenario is kids, quarterbacks don't trust you anymore. And you end up in a c- scenario like Georgia where they stacked five-star guys and now they have none of them. Someone, I can't find it right in front of me. Someone did say, like, if we're comparing Ryan Day's handling of quarterbacks yeah. to Kirby Smart's handling of quarterbacks, like, what are you doing? Which is a point taken. Yeah. Point, point taken. But sometimes you, everybody makes a bad decision sometimes. Sometimes it just happens. You know, a guy looks really good in the moment, and then guys go elsewhere and really flourish. From the, he doesn't, you know. Good. From the 208, response to the quarterback pod, Doug, I completely disagree with your take. Get the best guy you can as long as he's a cultural fit. That's an important factor at every position, every time, no questions asked. Besides, look at the potential from the player's perspective. You get the best development possible for two years under day. You transfer to a starting position at another big-time program and move on with your life. Recruiting backup talent intentionally makes zero sense. Imagine Day saying, Corey, your recruiting is too good. I need you to take someone who can't start in this year's class. Good luck. I mean, I do disagree with that. And then Kenny Guyton's the example. Kenny Guyton stayed here, never had an expectation, was a perfect fill-in for the times Braxton was hurt, got you through difficult situations. And I'm just saying like, there is a role for that guy. And so I will always push back on the idea of recruiting a backup quarterback is crazy because guess what you have on your roster right now. You have a backup quarterback on your roster. They went and got Gunnar Hoke because they wanted a backup quarterback on the roster, but I would rather have a backup quarterback, Kenny Guyton and, and Ari and Bill talked about this and Ari used Stephen Collier as an example. And I like gave Ari crap about that because like Stephen Collier never came close to getting on the field. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a guy like Kenny Guyton who wound up being a captain who was like the national player of the week with the numbers he put up when Braxton was hurt was never going to leave, had a great experience here, never had expectation. Now I also realize you can't, not every backup guy is going to be Kenny Guyton. I'm saying you have one now. If you're going to have one, I'd rather have a guy who's a cultural fit and is here and can like hold the room together as you move from five-star to five-star who maybe is going to transfer. And I think a guy like that has value as opposed to go getting a guy like that in Gunnar Hoke who comes in, he's new, he's doing a good job, he's serving a purpose, but he's not as ingrained with everything you want to do. I want like a kind of a coach on the field who also you trust in an emergency. That I'll push back on. That I think absolutely has value in a room where you want four quarterbacks. I'm telling you, I don't think five-star, 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 five-star is better than like five-star guy like that, five-star. I just will never think that. because And most of the time, it's not an issue because most of the time, you don't really have the choice to get four straight five-stars in a row. So sometimes it's like you're arguing against a thing that's not going to happen anyway. But I'll always believe that. And, 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 but the idea of in this situation, 
Should they be reluctant to get yours? I mean, there's enough pushback here that I realize it. I, I may be, my view might be Trussell-esque, frankly. I mean, my, my view might be rooted in the past. It might be rooted in a more, in a quainter time. And it might be rooted in a world where you don't have a one-time transfer option for every player in the country. And you, if it doesn't work out, you can go and it doesn't really affect you. So, so I understand that perhaps I have blinders on and I'm trying not to have blinders on. So I am certainly open to the idea that, that I might be wrong on this, but I think my, I think my intentions are pure, but also my pure intentions might have them go nine and three with pure intentions. And it's like, would you rather have Trevor Lawrence? So go ahead, Nathan. Again, I just, I think what makes it the discussion difficult is that we're talking about a, an abstract with a specific, this is Quinn Ewers. It's not necessarily stacking a five-star after five-star. I mean, it is, but it's also, they wanted to get Quinn Ewers. They felt like maybe he wasn't someone they could pass on. I thought one of the best texts we got was somebody pointed out something we didn't bring up the other day, but we kind of did in passing. I think somebody mentioned Clemson in the, in the mix. And it was, if he's leaving Texas, how many schools are there plausibly that he could end up at and isn't potentially taking him into your program, keeping him away from someone else that you don't want to have to face in the playoffs with Quinn Ewers. I think that's also a thing to factor into this. The other thing that I, I, and we, we can't go another half hour on this or however long we went yesterday, but just, I'm still very confused by, it seemed like you guys were saying that you don't want to get a five-star and a five-star. That middle year should be a guy who's still pretty highly ranked though, right? Still like a four-star top 100, top 150 guy. And the more I thought about that, I think that undercut the argument a little bit because I don't think those guys stick around for four years without getting a shot anymore no, either. No, I don't but they, 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 I, don't, I don't think they stick, but they stick around long enough to serve their purpose. Like what Chase Bryce did with, with Clemson, he stuck around long enough to serve that purpose, get his, and then he left for Duke, but he didn't, it wasn't immediately after one year. He understood that I am more of a development project. And then after three years, if it's not a, a chance for me to start here, then I leave. Fomachaw is going to be the same way with Clemson, where the first two years I'm here, I'm Trevor Lawrence's backup. I'm developing, I'm developing, and then I'm going to compete with whoever the 2020 guy is, which is DJ, to be the starter in 2021. With the and if that doesn't work, then I'll leave. I think that's the the concept I'm thinking about, and I think the concept that Doug is thinking about when you go five star four-star in the 200s, five-star, four, a guy who sticks around long enough to do, do his due diligence, has his hand to be a starter, it doesn't work out, and then he can leave and everybody's okay with it. And, and I, I agree with Joe Burrow was kind of like that, if he we're going to be honest here. Absolutely. He stuck around, did his due diligence, and then he competed with the guy who was next, Dwayne Haskins, and he left. And that, that's the, hey, come here, and if you don't develop, you can be Joe Burrow. Not the, hey, five stars, come here, and if you leave, you can be Joe Burrow. That hasn't happened yet. Now, Stephen, 100% agree with what Stephen said. So we've gone over a lot of this. Yeah. We're, we hear what you guys said. I think it was an interesting to discussion. It's mostly philosophical. Ohio State's not going to listen to us either way. I do. I just still, and I'll wrap up with this. And, and Nathan won this one. Yeah. I, I will say this. And I actually feel a little <laughs> bit less of this than I did before because of how this pandemic stuff played out. I feel like at times I have been interested in sort of like looking out for the players because 
They only get one shot at this. It's they have one life. They have one career. They only go through the recruiting process once. They aren't experts. By the time they become an expert, they're done with college. And then they can pass on their expertise to the next person. But the colleges and the coaches are experts. They do this a million times. So I do think at times, even if the player's eyes are wide open, they might not realize what they're getting themselves into exactly. And I am, I think sometimes I may be too interested in trying to be like, Hey, I'm not so sure that's fair to the kid that like you kind of, he thought, Hey, I'm not afraid of competition. I'm whatever. And it's like, listen, man, like it's Quinn Ewers. Like, I'm just telling you, this might not be the exact thing for you. I admire your pluck. I admire your self-confidence. You only get one shot at this. I'm not sure this is the thing for you, even though the school and you may have the best of intentions, but Part of this in the pandemic is there were a lot of people like trying to look out for the players of like, Hey, don't make these guys play in a pandemic. Hey, don't make them. And the players said like, Hey, we're good. Like, don't, don't, you don't have to defend us. We we're capable of making our own decisions. The families and the players wanted to play. Don't, we don't need protection by the conference to say, Hey, on your behalf, we're not going to make the un." We're not going to make the unpaid amateurs play football in a pandemic. They wanted to play. So part of me now is like, well, okay. If the family and the player think, Hey, we're okay. We can compete. We'll come. And you want to come and then you get recruited over top of, and then you wind up as a backup for three years and then you transfer. Now you're transferring to a school. It's your choice. So maybe I shouldn't like look out for you as much as my instinct might tell me to like, want to look out for you because you've got it. And, and you'll figure it out. And so it's a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a privileged paternal instinct that is misplaced and perhaps offensive that like, like Doug LaMaurice knows what's better for CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord. And Doug LaMaurice thinks it's not fair to them for Ohio state to recruit Quinn Ewers. And maybe CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord would say, we got it. We're good, man. We don't need you old man to tell us how to live our lives. So I also realize that. No, I think I, I again. I think your intentions were pure on this, and I, I there's a part of me that is sympathetic to that as well because these these programs do appeal to both the head and the heart of these players, and they want both to be true up until the point where one wins out over the other, or they want to appeal to one over the other. So you're right, like that that is a factor here. Um, that's why I think that communication is important. That's why I think that. Um, not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes is important. And I know that you're saying that I see what you're saying, that even when, even when you try to do that, maybe sometimes a kid is still just so um, only sees it from their perspective or their heart is so full of the place that they've committed to that they can't back away if it is in their best interest. I understand that, but I also think that this is a business as much as we want to try to say it's not. And you've got advisors, you've got people looking out for their best interests too. So you kind of, I guess, have to just trust that process. And the thing in the end I want to say is, I mean, I don't think, I'm sure none of us do this. I do not ever do it. I never say something that I don't think just to like elicit discussion. So I'm here for 98% of the people to disagree with me, but we didn't have that pod to stir up people just to disagree with us and get you fired up. It's really what I thought. It's really what Steven thought. It's really what Nathan thought. And now maybe we're open to people having opinions and our smart texters informing us and maybe we you know nathan made some good arguments maybe it opens my eyes a little bit but i just i I hate the term like hot take artist because it's just an opinion and i if you give opinions you don't believe in in any shape or form but especially like if you're on a podcast or on a radio show you're a columnist then i lose all respect for you i never do that 
I want to just want you to know when I am wrong, I am wrong in my heart and in my soul. I am not wrong for ratings. I am wrong because I'm an idiot. Jim Harbaugh next. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right. You guys have been waiting for it. It's the Jim Harbaugh podcast because you like it. <laughs> I, I, whenever we have Michigan stuff in the headline of Buckeye Talk, it does very well. But if Michigan was good, I would imagine maybe it wouldn't do so well. But it's always like Buckeye Talk talks about Michigan. And everybody's like, ooh, they're going to rip them because Michigan stinks. And it's like they don't stink, but they aren't as good as Ohio State. So that's why I think Ohio State fans enjoy this conversation. We're going to run through the nut of this, of what, what should happen, what will happen. And then we'll get into candidates. So I will say off the top before we get to the survey questions, the loss to Michigan State changed my mind on Jim Harbaugh. And I was Googling things today. I think it everybody agrees with this now. The people who already thought Jim Harbaugh was a failure feel vindicated. And they all wrote it. Pete Thamel torched Harbaugh on Yahoo Sports. Dan Walken torched Harbaugh in USA Today. And anybody who wasn't sure on Harbaugh now is like, yeah, it's not going to work. I think there is nobody left in the Jim Harbaugh camp as ter- in terms of him being the right guy for Michigan. I was still in that camp. I would continue to give him the benefit of the doubt into year six because I remembered where they had been with Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, and they are better off than where they were with Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. And I do think it is important for everybody to factor that into their discussion. You can't just think about where Michigan was under Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr and compare Jim Harbaugh to that because we've seen how much worse it can get. So you must take that into consideration, but to lose that game to a rival, to a first year coach in Mel Tucker, Michigan state didn't even want to play this year. They were okay with taking the pandemic break They're, They, they don't really have any dudes yet. And that you get, just soundly beaten by a team that just lost lost to Rutgers. That is your second biggest rival. It's only one game, but I thought it crystallized everything because I get it. I don't think you can just give up on Jim Harbaugh because he can't beat Ohio state. Cause lots of people can't beat Ohio state, but come on, man, it's Michigan state. You're three and three against them. Now in six years, Michigan state is at its lowest ebb and you got it handed to you. So I'm out. I am out. Just as we reset this, Stephen, where were you on Harbaugh before the Michigan State loss, and where are you now? Um, I was leaning towards out, and it had nothing to do with the fact that he can't beat Ohio State. It's that he can't win big games at all. Ohio State's another monster, but when you can't beat Penn State and you're not winning bowl games, I think that's that adds to the fact, and it's like, and you're not beating Ohio State. It's kind of the bonus in all of that. I'm out completely. And I think maybe (laughs) it's not as bad as Tom Herman's situation, obviously, but the idea that a five-star quarterback commit is on his way is something that you can kind of latch onto as your last resort might be where Harbaugh is headed. And Quinn Ewers has left Tom Herman. So that's out the window. And if he can't hold on to his five-star JJ McCarthy, then things get interesting. And there's probably a conversation that's had. All right, so that's where Stephen is. Nathan, where were you before the Michigan State loss and now after? So I think people who listen to the pod would maybe have previously described me as some kind of a Harbaugh defender because I've been the one who, when we've had these discussions, has 
you know, I remember us having a discussion this summer and maybe I was even the one leading the pod and people were there's just all these opinions about Jim Harbaugh basically being a dunce who can't coach football and is lucky to have this job and um, is a disgrace to the idea of coaching football because that's what you're getting from the Ohio State fan base. And I was the one pushing back saying the guy is a legitimately good football coach. And I believe that. I believe Jim Harbaugh is a legitimately good football coach. But so is Kirk Ferentz. And I don't think Michigan hired – I said this on the Monday Madness pod. I don't think Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh to make them the Iowa of the East. That's the plateau here. That's, I think, as far as it can go. It, it, we have too much evidence now that that's really as far as we can go. I thought you saw it last year with almost losing the Army at home. That's just something that I think is completely out of context. Of like Ohio State fans couldn't even fathom, right, like almost losing to Army at home. Like it's, it's unfathomable. But yet that's kind of just part of the Michigan reality now. Or the fact that they were – I had the stat in, in Madness a couple weeks ago that they were – they, they were 0-3 last year against ranked teams on the road, and they're like 3-13 three, three and 13 under Harbaugh before they beat Minnesota, which now, as it turns out, Minnesota sh- shouldn't have been ranked. They weren't good, so idiots like me shouldn't have been ranking them. I mean, like, it's, it's, it, it, there's just too much evidence that they've hit the ceiling. They've hit the Harbaugh ceiling. So now I – but, as we'll talk about here in a minute, I, I, I don't know if they have a lot of great options for where to go next. So I like Pete Thamel. I think he might be the best college football reporter out there because he has great sources. He writes really good source stuff. And then when he's just as ready, he'll just bring out the blowtorch in a column. So these two paragraphs in his column on Harbaugh, I thought said it all. Michigan has slipped to the definition of unfounded arrogance. The Wolverines are the bluster without the results, the brand with the wrong ambassador and the familiar logo that's making you forget why you recognized it in the first place. They are old money hanging around the country club because they always have. But as the years go on, everyone else forgets why. The issue here is that Harbaugh has failed the program with his inability to modernize it. He's hired staff haphazardly. His recruiting department is devoid of strategy and the other power five recruiting departments are praying they don't change. Forget beating Ohio State. They aren't even competing with them for recruits. I think when you start looking at that stuff and that is where Urban succeeded the most. We've said that a couple of times. It's what you build. It's not necessarily, it's not game day strategy on a Saturday. It's the structure that you build with your strength and conditioning, with your recruiting department, with the way you handle your business at practice, with expectations, with how you hire people, with what you do every day as a program. And I think the word haphazard is a good word there for Michigan, because here he is. It's like the offense wasn't working. He brought in Josh Gaddis. They switched to a spread. Gaddis seems to be working some stuff every now and then, but it's not really an identity at this point. I mean, he changed, you know, kind of the old Harbaugh style of offense because he never could recruit the Trevor Lawrence or the Justin Fields to come run that offense, which is what we all thought he was going to do. The defensive identity that they've built is an identity against mid-tier teams. And then when they play athletes, they can't hang. So there's just, and they don't recruit on the highest level. They do not. This JJ McCarthy is important as Steven pointed out, five-star quarterback who wanted to come to Ohio state. Ryan day picked Kyle McCord. And so it was like, all right, I guess JJ McCarthy will go for Michigan. He's not going head to head. I'm not sure Michigan's going head to head with anybody who really is on their level and beating guys. They'll go into Jersey and beat Rutgers for a kid, or they'll go beat somebody, you know, they'll go down and get a three-star out of the South. They're not down competing for top hundred kids in Texas or, Florida or California, not consistently. So I think that's where it is. I don't like talking about identity of a program a lot and identity of an offense. Cause I think that can be overdone a lot, 
because you've got to do what you've got to do. But they are, you don't know what their deal is at the moment. And the idea that they're not modern also, if you get, I mean, if, if it happens and they get in a coach who updates and has a Pantone, brings in a Pantone and starts going after recruits systematically the way Ohio State goes after recruits, you'll see a difference immediately. And like to try to have Harbaugh do that is, I think, past hope. You've got to bring in a new guy to do that. I think they need a reset. And I guess I should write it this week. It's the thing I've said a million times. I still haven't written it. He's their Cooper. They need their trestle. And so it doesn't have to reset to urban. I don't know that you need an urban, but I think you need somebody who knows who they are. When trestle came here, people didn't like the offense all the time, but you knew what it was. Trestle ball. What's Harbaugh ball? What's anything? Maybe you thought trestle should recruit better, but you knew he was going to shut down, put up the walls around Ohio. You knew that was going to happen. You knew how Jim Trestle was going to go about winning and you knew that you could believe in it. And guess what? It worked. Now urban took it to a new level, but it worked. And I think that's what Michigan needs. I don't think that you can expect Michigan to get an urban right now. I think you can expect them to get a trestle. And I think there are multiple guys out there who could be their trestle. And that in the end, Jim Harbaugh is not a savior for Michigan. He's a transformative coach. He's a change coach. He's a bridge coach. He's not the answer, but he's the guy who at least got you past the question. And I think that's where they are right now. So let's dig in. Let's use our survey answers to move this along before we get the candidates. First question I asked, as an Ohio State fan, do you want Jim Harbaugh to be Michigan's coach in 2021? And to reset this quickly, Nathan, because it's a little bit of in the weeds, he has not signed a contract extension. It's been an issue on the Michigan beat. They've asked about it. He talked about it again in October. He did not sign an extension. His current contract runs through 2021. And I think a story I saw, there's like no power five coach who does not, who ha, whose current contract is that short because you can't ever let a coach get up against that. You've got to sign him to an extension so that he can recruit to it. Because every time you have a coach, Who's, whose current contract like doesn't run through the life of the kid he's trying to recruit, it puts him at a disadvantage. So there's some of this stuff that we may get into. Well, should he be fired? Well, should he be this? Part of this, Nathan, is like, like they might not even have to fire him exactly, right, That where his contract situation is. Yeah, I mean, they could just not give him a contract. Right? I mean, they could just mutually decide to part ways. And maybe that's where this is heading. Maybe that's Maybe they have both mutually talked that out and said like, hey, we both see where this is heading. You know, why put each other in a bad position? Um, if we don't get things, uh, some spark going this year, maybe it's time to just, yeah, mutually walk away. And you, you're right. I mean, usually in, in college football, college basketball, you're talking about five-year contracts, kind of usually minimum, right? Because you always want to be able to tell the kids that you're recruiting, yeah, I've got a contract through the time you're going to be here. So you, you've seen this all the time where sometimes coaches going into their fourth year that becomes kind of like the decision. If you've been kind of mediocre and you've got four years left, they know that at the end of that year, I saw this happen at, at Purdue with Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel, both like you're either, you have to either extend them or fire them. It, it's, it's, it's one or the other. So it, that's why it sometimes is like that extreme decision, but you can't just keep going with the status quo because it hurts you too much in recruiting. So you're right. Like if, in this case though, that's already been at play. And I, I, I don't know how honestly that they've been able to keep recruiting even at the level they have considering his contract situation. So it's up after 2021, but it's like, it's just, you know, 
the, part of it is they aren't on the hook for so much money that that would prevent them from parting ways with him. That it's like, hey, well, he's got six years left and they fire him without cause. They're on the hook for 50 million or something. That's not a worry. So it actually is a pretty easy separation and it might not have to be quite a firing. So as an Ohio State fan, do you want Jim Harbaugh as Michigan co- Michigan's coach in 2021? Steven, what do you think this vote was that through this Ohio State lens, all of our texters are Ohio State fans. How many of them want Harbaugh to stay? 85% because they keep beating them and they just had to deal with the fact that Ryan Day reportedly saying that he was going to hang 100 on their head. So 85% middle. Nathan, what's your guess? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be 100 because I think there is a portion of the fan base yeah. that wishes this Michigan thing more than it does right now. So, but yeah, I would guess, yeah, maybe somewhere around 84, 85%. I'll say 84 just for, okay, never mind. 88. So, so Stephen, as you buy <laughs> no, a price is right. It. <laughs> so here's, and I think this is what maybe you were getting to a little bit, Nathan, the other side of it from the 440, the survey didn't leave the provision to say, to explain why I said as an Ohio State fan that I didn't think Harbaugh should be the Michigan coach next year. So this is a survey person who is in the 12% that wants Harbaugh gone as an Ohio State fan. Here it is. Ohio State and the Big Ten need a strong Michigan team. Michigan under Coach Khaki can't beat Michigan State or Ohio State and can't win bowl games. In the long run, this hurts both Ohio State and the Big Ten from the 440. Nathan, that is a nice worldview perspective from a texter there. No, and I've, I've said it before. I think that's true. I think the, the Big Ten loses out by what Michigan is right now. And so I wrote about it in Madness on Monday that when I was a kid, and I've said it on here before, when I was a kid, maybe it's because I grew up in Illinois and there's more of a connection between Illinois and Michigan. And it was a, you know, the start, we're talking about the 80s, early 90s. Michigan had a mystique. Michigan had this vibe of being a legitimate national presence in college football and uh, it's kind of i think the way people probably look at ohio state right now maybe also because ohio state was not beating michigan back then and and was maybe a step behind a lot of those years but it's that's the way i felt about them and now that's also i think always kind of clouded the way that i look at harbaugh's job here is that i don't see the excuse why michigan can't be more than it is okay second question as a neutral observer, thinking about the best move for Michigan, should Jim Harbaugh be Michigan's coach in 2021? Nathan, what's your guess there? Our texters removing their scarlet glasses. What do they think? Should Harbaugh be back next year? It, just from Michigan's standpoint, I would say f- uh, 47% say yes. 47% say he should be back, 53% say he should not be back. Steven, what's your guess? Yeah, I was going to go 58% say no. Even more, 70% say no, Hmm. which I think is right. I think that is a Mm -hmm. nice ability by our Ohio State texters to step back and look at it from the broad perspective because it's a tough argument. And, and, you know, I was made, I would have made the argument. I would have been in the 30% a week ago and now I would be in the 70%. I don't think he should be back, but um, it's just, it's really getting tougher. I almost would be curious to hear anybody out there making the case, whether they're a Michigan fan, whether they're a neutral fan, whether they're an Ohio state fan, why, you know what? No, this guy absolutely is still the right guy. They should believe in him. He deserves a seventh year. I'm not sure what that argument is. I don't even know. We could make a, a, we can make one up. What is the argument? Like, what is, does anybody have a, 
don't give up on Jim Harbaugh yet argument that really you feel good about, even if you don't think it, but you feel like it's a reasonable side of the take. I don't know the inner workings. I mean, I assume that the boosters and whatnot at Michigan are not super happy about the way things are going. If for some reason though, they just loved Jim Harbaugh so much that he, they wanted that kind of familial thing that he brings being a Michigan man more than they care about being a a, a program that lives up to their reputation, their historic reputation. I suppose you could sell it that way that you, the the devil, you know, is better than the devil you don't. And that you can go get the, the next Brady Hoke or um, Rich Rodriguez or the next hot name and see how that works out for you. And maybe 10 and three is better than that. I could see, I suppose, trying to talk yourself into that. I just feel like you're spinning your wheels at some point though. Like if this is as high as it's going to ever get, um, what, what are you, what do you pay? I, it, that just doesn't seem like what Michigan is supposed to be. Yeah. It's, are they okay with the 10 and three? Is this just, are they okay with this is what Michigan is now. They're a team who's going to win some games, but they're not going to beat the really good teams in the big 10. Every college football conference is a collection of teams that would be ecstatic to go 10 and three and teams that would be mm-hmm. appalled to go 10 and three. And I think that Michigan's supposed to be in the latter of those two. Yeah. Annually, every single year. That feels like a pod. The ecstatic and the appalled, the 10 and 3 question. That's a really good way of putting that, Nathan. And that Michigan should be appalled, but are they inching toward ecstatic? And that would because, that's a problem if they are. Because they're in the middle, which is the worst place to be, where you're just not really ecstatic or appalled. You're just okay with it, which is a very bad place to be as a program because then you don't know where to go from there. Because I like Nathan, I know you like your Iowa comparison. Iowa still is firmly an ecstatic to go 10 and three, mm-hmm. right? That that's the okay. whole thing. It's like, and then if Michigan is slipping into that, then they really have slipped. The, the one thing is that I think I would argue, and I have often, most of my argument has been 10 and three is pretty good. Ohio state's on a different level for all my, my sort of backing Harbaugh arguments. I think it also might be at the point like, if we're going to go 10 and three, I'd rather go 10 and three with another guy. Like, I don't want to go 10 and three weird. If we're going to go 10 and three, can yeah. we go, can we go 10 and three? Like a, like a slightly more normally, a like little James more Franklin goes 10 and three, <laughs> a little more pleasant, you know, even like I'd rather go Jim Trestle 10 and three, not that Trestle went 10 and three, but I'd rather go Jim Trestle 10 and three than Jim Harbaugh 10 and three. You know, even though Harbaugh's kind of cooled it on the shenanigans and stuff, like I just, I don't, honestly, and I don't know if there's any Michigan fans who are listening to this or whatever, but is it fun? Do you like it? Like beyond being disappointed when you lose to Michigan State, do you like the wins? Is it fun to follow the team? Is it fun to follow recruiting? Are you eager to see what Harbaugh has to say at his news conference during the week? Do you like it? When do you listen to the coaches show? Like, is it fun? Is following Jim Harbaugh's Michigan team fun? My, my guess is no, because everybody else thinks your coach is freaking weird. And at some point, like, if you're just winning, if you're just kicking butt, he's like, well, it's our weird guy. That's fine. But if you're just kind of being okay, do you get tired of everybody saying your coach is weird? I know that people don't necessarily like when I bring up these Purdue examples, but I, the one thing Purdue did give me some experience with is uh, covering coaching firings. 
and uh, in football. And um, that was one of the hallmarks. Like when, when, when it was time for Daryl Hayes to leave, it was because the apathy had just overtaken. I don't know that Michigan is there yet. It's a different scale. I mean, Purdue was winning nothing. Michigan is still at least winning 10 games. You're still having mostly a good year. I just, if, if, when, when Purdue would lose to Iowa or Purdue, or sorry, when, when Ohio State would lose to Iowa or Purdue a couple years ago, I mean, you had to kind of, you definitely felt it if you were a fan because you then had to watch the playoffs and know if you just win this one game that had gotten away from you, you'd be in the playoffs too. And it was hurting your stature as a program. You knew that there were problems, but it's not the same as if you lose to Ohio State and Michigan State every year. Because I don't feel like you have to hear it from Iowa fans and Purdue fans every day, but when you can't beat Michigan State and Ohio State ever, and then on top of that, you're never winning bowl games. You're never having these signature road wins. It's just you're you are like as, as Stephen said, you're you're stuck in you're in a stasis. Like you can't. You're just spinning your wheels. I feel I like think there is something ahead, how you lose games as well. That's part of why I said like how how James Franklin goes ten and three, but they're competitive. It, you can there's arguments of literal arguments of hey, we were a play away from knocking off Ohio State in some of those, and you can live with those maybe a little bit longer at some point you have to find somebody who can get over the hump, but you can live with that a little longer than just, they're going to put up 60 plus points on you every year. And there's nothing you can do about it. A couple of years ago when Nebraska got rid of Bo Pelini, it wasn't because I don't think Joe Bo Pelini was going nine and three every year. It's because he was going kind of like mean nine and three that like, if we're going to be nine and three, he's a little gruff for us that we'd rather go nine and three. Now we'd rather not go nine and three. We'd rather be better than that because again, Nebraska would like to be appalled at nine and three or 10 and three. They're getting pretty close to being ecstatic at nine and three or 10 and three. But when they got rid of Polini, who was like a consistent winner, but I think they just were tired of the act. And I just don't know. Yes. Michigan is Harbaugh is the ultimate Michigan man, but I, I wonder if they're just tired of the act. And that if we're only going to be this good, there's not enough winning to justify more of the act. And that, you know, random good coach X would just be more palatable. And even if that good coach doesn't beat Ohio State, at least it'll be a little more fun the rest of the year. I think that really might be in play here. Last one, prediction time. Will Jim Harbaugh be Michigan's coach? in 2021 so we asked our, our tech subscribers to make the prediction steven how many said yes he'll be the coach still how many said no he'll be will not be the coach uh 55 no 45 yes nathan i think more like 71 percent no 73 percent yes hmm. wow three quarters of the people so our final breakdown on that is as an Ohio State fan, 88% hope he stays. As a neutral observer, 70% think he should go. But as a predictor of what actually will happen, 73% think he'll stick around. So it's basically the flip. Seven out of 10 think he should go, but seven out of 10 think he will stay. And I think that might be wrong because I do think that is sort of would go to your thing, Nathan, of he's our guy. You know, what are we going to do? It's hard to beat Ohio State. We are better than we were before, whatever. But I think the contract situation makes it easy. It's an easy out. And I do think Ward Manuel seems like an AD. I think he might be pretty good. 
and I don't, I think the people in charge, yes, I know a lot of people were mad at the Michigan president during the pandemic stuff, or whatever. I think Ward Manuel seems like he runs a decent athletic department. I think I'd trust Ward Manuel with the hire. And like Dave Brandon was not a good AD. The was it Bill Martin before him? I think, I don't know. Like Rich Rodriguez was an awful hire. Brady Hoke was like a desperation reaction to Rich Rodriguez. And then Jim Harbaugh was a great hire. I mean, you, that's the one thing you can't dispute. He was absolutely the right hire. Has he turned out to be the right guy? Probably not. He was absolutely the right hire. They had to go that way. But if one of the reasons that you would be reluctant to get rid of Jim Harbaugh is because you think, well, who are we going to get? I think you could get somebody. I actually have very little doubt they could get somebody. I think they'd have good candidates, and I think Ward Manuel would make a good choice, and they would not wind up with Brady Hoke, who was just like an overmatched guy who went to Michigan, or Rich Rodriguez, who was the worst cultural fit of a competent head coach and a program that I've ever seen. Awful. I, it's like stunning that they thought that would work. And I'm not sure I was against it at the time, but it is all the proof you ever need about does cultural fit matter when you hire a football coach? Heck yes, that was not the right guy. I don't think they would make a mistake like that again. So I think the 70% saying they'll run Harbaugh back. I actually don't think he'll be back. So where would you guys vote on that? My prediction is they have some sort of parting of the ways after this Steve season. Steven, where are you? Yeah, I'd say 80% he won't be back next year. Um, especially if you know this they lose another game that they're not supposed to lose. And then Penn State beats them as well. And Ohio State is kind of like, the cherry on top of what's been an extremely disappointing season. I'd say 80% chance he's not back next year. What do you say, Nathan? I mean, yeah, maybe more like 85 because again, I just think the contract situation, I don't know how you resolve that. I mean, you're going to give him a one-year extension. I don't or just a one-year contract or do you give him a whole new five years? Cause then you're committing yourself financially to another like big chunk of this. Like it just doesn't make sense. And the only thing, almost the only thing that makes sense at this point, unless they have some kind of massive, I mean, I suppose they could win their final six games and then win the second place game and, and, and work themselves back into the, the top of the rankings. I don't know, but like, um, I, I just don't know where they can go from here. Yeah. But from a recruiting standpoint, you couldn't do that. Because you know, this is a pretty decent recruiting class, ninth in the country. And, I mean, you can't – one-year extension, you're telling kids that, hey, we're going to give this guy one year and then you're going to have another who, new, a new head coach the year after that. I don't think they'll do that. I, I do think it's such an important point that if you don't quite have your head wrapped around it, this is the out. The out is right in front of them. And, Nathan, the point you've made of, like – I mean, really, the one-year thing, is, it's not really an option. They've either got to get rid of him or give him a big extension. Like, there's no in-between. And how in God's name could you give him a big extension? I mean, just how, I don't know how you could be there. Now, the complicating factor, and I still don't know that it would do it if he beats Ohio State. Like he finally beats Ohio State. Ohio State looks yeah. like one of the, is, Ohio State is rolling and is one of the three best teams in the country and Michigan finally wins. And then they're like, you're done. But I don't even know if that would, I mean, say you get a fluke win. What does that really change? Does that fundamentally change? Now, I, I guess well, I think the loss to Michigan State has fundamentally changed it. So I don't know if it would fundamentally change it back. But I feel like the only thing that maybe would save him right now is beating Ohio State. And I'm not even sure if that would be enough. Well, well let's I mean, I, but think of the scenario I just presented where you would be seven and one with wins over Wisconsin, Ohio, assuming they get to play that game with Wisconsin, Ohio State and Penn State. 
And then if you go win a Big Ten championship game because you just knocked off Penn State and Ohio State, and well, now, that's so now you're eight and one. So like now it's more than just beating Ohio State. There that starts to look like you did actually have this like renaissance in the middle of a season. And now it, you know how that's going to get spun. Like oh the the pandemic and things were looking bad, and then now they're eight and one, and they're the number four seed in the playoffs. Okay. And- I'm going to shut that down. I don't think that's five percent realistic. I, I'm not sure yeah. being Ohio State's realistic. I'm thinking no, more think like either, really. more like they're four and three, and they f- somehow managed to upset Ohio State. So like, yeah. if they run the table, then if they run the table, then the problems we think they have right now they don't actually have because they're winning right. big games, which they never win. So I think you make a good point. I said they're only the only out is beating Ohio State. Actually, the out is like run the table. Well, and get to the Big Ten. I mean, if they run the table, they're in the playoff. Win the rest of your games, win the Big Ten championship, go to the playoff. They're not firing him. But, like, that's not going to happen. So, short of that, I I, I just think it's over. I do. Because here's the thing, and you learn this. I mean, it's not any kind of revelation. What the public thinks matters. Ohio State, in the end, got rid of Jim Jim Trestle in the midst of Tattoo Gate because, like, there was too much public pressure, and they were sick of it. You think Michigan likes having the whole world talk about how their coach thinks? You think Ward Manuel, I, it's not that Ward Manuel is going to get rid of Jim Harbaugh because Pete Thamel wrote a column, but you don't think people up there are reading that stuff? You don't think the donors and the boosters and and the, the people on the board of trustees and the AD and the president, they're aware of it. They're aware that everybody thinks that Jim Harbaugh is the wrong guy for Michigan. It doesn't make your decision for you, but it matters. It matters at least a little bit, which takes us to the next step, which I think is important, is who they could hire. And I have a guy and I put him on my list and I think I made a pretty good list. I put 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 people on this list. I don't know if you guys thought there was somebody obvious that I missed. Um, I kind of covered it pretty well. And I'll tell you, these are the people that I put on the list. PJ Fleck from Minnesota. Les Miles, the former Michigan player, former LSU coach who's now at Kansas. Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien, the former Penn State and Texans coach. Luke Fickle, obviously, from Cincinnati. Kyle Whittingham, the Utah coach. David Shaw, the Stanford coach. Matt Campbell, the Iowa State coach. Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern coach. Bob Stoops, the former Oklahoma coach. Mark Stoops, his brother, the coach at Kentucky. Justin Wilcox, the Cal coach, who was once the Wisconsin defensive coordinator, Dan Mullen at Florida, and Dave Aranda at Baylor, who was the Wisconsin defensive coordinator, then was the LSU defensive coordinator, was the highest paid assistant coach in the country, and now is in his first year as a head coach at Baylor. So I thought it was a pretty wide range of guys. So, you know, I put it all out there. People could vote. There were four people who got more than 10% of the vote. So I'm not asking you guys, you have to write those down. Is there anybody that jumped off the list that if you don't have to name all four, who do you think is in those top four? Steven, anybody that you think, yeah, that, that guy's definitely in the top four. PJ Flick and Matt Campbell. Nathan, who's in the top four? I, I mean, um, I, I agree with both of those because I feel like those are just names that have been out there and are, especially Matt Campbell being kind of a hot name and PJ Fleck. Although I'm, I don't know about moving inside the Big Ten. I think, I don't know about that. But Why I think that? that's that would probably be one of the top four. Well, sometimes there's contract clauses that prohibit it, so I don't know what PJ Flex contract looks like. But 
I'm trying to think what the, I mean, like Gary Moeller was the coach at Illinois and then went and was the coach at Michigan. Right. I'm trying to think other moves. But that was in 1980. No, I know. I know. Uh, I mean, Dan Mullen went from Mississippi state to Florida two years Mm ago. So it's not impossible. I bet you could be, I imagine it could be worked out. I'll tell you, Matt Campbell was the overwhelming winner. Matt Campbell got 29% of the vote. He got almost three times as much as anybody else. He's an obvious name. I think he's Trestle-esque, had success in the MAC. He's, he's made Iowa State like a borderline top 25 team, like every year. And he's, he's beaten the big guys over there at times. He, he usually has at least one really good win a year. I think he'd be a great choice. I think he settles everything down. I think people would line up behind him. I think he, he has Ohio connections. I, I just think he's like, it, it's one of those things. Sometimes the most obvious name is obvious for a reason. And I, and I think, I think that might be the case here with Matt Campbell second at 11%. And neither of you guys said him was Luke. Luke. I was about to. Yeah. Luke fickle got 11% and we have to have a Luke discussion here. Two people at 10% Brent Venables, which I think is really interesting. It's like, who'd you get to be your head coach? The best assistant coach in the country. Oh, Okay. I mean, like that guy's waiting. That guy's waiting for a job. That guy's waited forever. Brent Venables isn't going to jump until he gets a top 10 job. Is Michigan that? It's like, where else is Brent Venables going to go? What's he waiting for? Is he going to get Texas? If Tom Herman goes, is Brent Venables going to get Texas? Is Brent Venables going to get USC if they get rid of Clay Helton? Is Brent Venables, like, wh- like where's Brent Venables? When's he, when he jumps, what's he waiting for? And I don't know. I mean, he's been in clubs in a long time. I don't think he would be a cultural misfit at Michigan. I think I think it might make a lot of sense. And you go from an offensive guy to a defensive guy. The guy knows how to win. I, I think it's. I, I like it. I like his name. And then Les Miles got ten percent. That's not going to happen. <laughs> ten years ago, it might have. It's not going to happen now. I'll run through the rest of the people, and then by the time I get to the end of this, I want you guys to have your candidate. So it's 29% Matt Campbell, 11% Luke Fickle, 10% for Brent Venables and Les Miles, 8% each for PJ Fleck, Bill O'Brien, and other. And I'll run through some others if we get the chance. 4% Kyle Whittingham and Mark Stoops, the Kentucky coach, 2% each for David Shaw, Bob Stoops, and Pat Fitzgerald, 1% for Dave Aranda and Dan Mullen, and Justin Wilcox got a single vote. Steven, do you have somebody that you would go to first if you were Michigan? I might go PJ Fleck first over Matt Campbell, just because I I, I do think I, I I understand the Brent Venables thing with 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 the defensive with going from an offensive guy to a defensive guy, but I do think that there are certain jobs in the country where if you want to compete at a certain level, your head coach needs to be an offensive minded guy, and PJ Fleck is that. I understand Minnesota hasn't looked as good this year. But, I mean, Tanner Morgan's a quality quarterback. Rashad Bateman is arguably the best best wide receiver in the Big Ten. I, th- I think that's part of the – their offense hasn't been able to keep up with – forget Ohio State, even with Penn State. They're not scoring at the late rate that they need to be scoring to be that type of team that I think should be scoffing at 10-3. and three. And that, that's part of the problem. So, switching – even Nick Saban, who's a defensive-minded guy, had to change up his philosophy a little bit and – and kind of go away from that defensive minded stuff and be, be more offensive minded to keep up with where college football is today. That's why we go PJ Fleck first. Can I read the others? I just pulled up the others. Go ahead. This is a little, (laughs) a little comedy from our textures. I I apologize in advance for the language. uh, And I'll just run through 
all the all the things they said. Does it matter? Anyone might be better. That was a vote. Doug Maurice, I got a vote. Josh Gaddis, Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy is really interesting. Eric Bieniemy should already be an NFL head coach. Interesting. He's the NFL version of Brent Venables, where he's just waiting on the right job. Very interesting. I don't. I mean, he's going to get an NFL job. He might be. He's probably. I think yeah. people think he's going to be the next Texans coach. Would he want to come to college? I don't know. It's an interesting name, though. Tom unlike, Herman. Brent, unlike Venables, I think he can. Uh, Venables can get an interview, though. I'm not sure that. I think that's been the problem with Bieniemy, unfortunately. Uh, Tom Herman, yeah. that like you get fired at Texas and come to Michigan. I'm not sure that the answer for Michigan is like a failed guy at Texas. Brian Kelly, that like you get him to leave Notre Dame. Alex Grinch, thanks for getting the pod. <laughs> Jeff Halfley, which is interesting. Yeah. I would not go there, but he's got a year of Ohio State experience. He's doing good things at BC. It's an interesting name. Kanye, I'd be more interested if there were year two or three at, at Boston College. I do think it's a little early because it's it's. Do you really know? Do you know for sure? Yeah. Like, hey, you played a good half against Clemson. I get it. Like, I, I yeah. Halfley's doing a good job. It feels early to me. Uh, Kanye West. So Kanye now has gotten write-in <laughs> votes for president and write-in votes for Michigan head coach. No, you can't. You I don't can't think he'd vote for I don't know if he'd vote for himself for Michigan president for Michigan coach the way he voted for himself for president. Unless unless Kanye is a tech subscriber, and this is how proof that he is. Uh, Desmond Howard, Mario Cristobal, the Oregon coach, another for Halfley. Someone, <laughs> we, someone we will stomp. Anyone less than $8 million, does it matter? Pat Narduzzi from Pitt, formerly Michigan State, D.C. Brady Hoke, run it back. Jeff Halfley again. <laughs> someone chose to write in, I have no idea. Jeff Halfley again. Kevin Wilson, it doesn't matter. Jeff Halfley again, Doug Maurice. That's my second vote. Donald Trump. They'll stink. Well, I, that's a political opinion. I'm not going to, I'm not going to express on this podcast. Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. No idea who to vote for a three headed circus clown that he would have a better record. Doug. That's my third vote. Jeff Halfley, Tom Herman, my left nut again. It's just the texters. I love how this is a battle between you and Jeff Halfley right now. I also like how we won't read a political opinion, but we will say my left nut. <laughs> I have a I have a two vote lead over my left nut right now. Urban Meyer, just kidding, Luke Fickle, Kanye West, Har Jimba, Jim Zevil twin, and Mike Hart, former Michigan running back, who's an assistant coach now. So those were good names. I think I think Herman's an interesting name. I think a guy like Eric Bieniemy is an interesting name. I'm always interested, like. Is there like an NFL guy that doesn't leap to mind that would be like, that's a really good hire. And now I think it would have to be an NFL guy who's been in the college game at least a little bit. So anyway, what we got to get to our guys before we wrap this up. Steven said PJ Fleck, Nathan, who you got? So, and I, I agree with him that you think you got to go offense. I don't, I just don't think the PJ Fleck thing is going to necessarily work. <laughs> um, partially because you just got, you would be moving on from one kind of enigmatic personality and, and they're not the same but there's just so much going on there with Fleck that I don't know if that's yeah. really the vibe you want. I, so I, I had Bill O'Brien on my list. I had Mark Stoops on my list. Uh, I thought he's done some interesting things, kind of making some inroads into Ohio. The other name that I had on my list, and you meant you put Brent Venables on your list. You didn't put Tony Elliott on the list, the offensive coordinator at Ooh. Clemson. Now, yep. what's interesting about that, because I feel like that was kind of who some jumped to my mind immediately. Someone who could you could keep your offense, you know, up there, and someone who has a proven track record of attracting quarterbacks, or at least helping 
Dabo Swinney attract quarterbacks, but knows what, what that's made of. The problem with him is I don't know that he's, I can't remember the last time he left the state of South Carolina for anything. He played at Clemson. He's been a coach at Clemson and Furman and like South Carolina state, I think. So like, he's never really, he so seems like geographically, I don't know if he's the guy you want. Um, but that was kind of the outside the box fit to me. Go get somebody like that. I mean, you're basically trying to pull yourself back up to that level where you can be in Ohio State's camp. You're not going to get someone from Ohio State. And I don't know if you're going to go get – I don't know if the Luke Fickle-Marcus Freeman thing makes sense. You're going to have to build it from the defensive side more. I maybe want an offensive mind, a quarterback mind. So I would maybe go get somebody like that to try to, you know, uh, make yourself a little pop-up Clemson up in Ann Arbor. The Tony Elliott thing is interesting because, I mean, Clemson lost their first assistant in like seven years after last season – and they do kind of stick around a little bit longer. Um, I don't know if it's maybe for waiting for the right job or they just get comfortable in that role, but that, that's an interesting name if they can actually pull that. I and will, I will say real quick, Clemson pays its assistance a lot. Michigan's one of the few yeah. places that would be able to commit resources right away to hire somebody like that. I will say that Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott were the co-offensive coordinators at Clemson mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. year, and Jeff Scott left. It's who Steven is referencing. Jeff Scott went to South Florida. Yeah, Michigan's. Yeah. I think Michigan might be a big jump. Like Brett, the reason yeah, I put Brett, right. Brett Venables is like the best assistant in college football. Like Brett mm-hmm. Venables is like Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and then jumped to Georgia. So that that's what Brent Venables is doing. He's waiting for a Georgia type jump. And I think Michigan might make sense. I just think it's hard if you're going to hire a guy who's never been a head coach before. Like you've got to know. And Tony Elliott, like Jeff, Tony Elliott's only forty. So I think yep. it's interesting. I just think Brent, Brent Venables might be on a different plane when it comes to assistant coach. That's fair. Yeah. So I will say the guy that, and let, let me ask this quickly because mine is not an offensive guy. You both said it should be an offensive guy. Like why? I think, I mean, if you want to compete with Ohio state and I think that's what part of this is, you've got to find a way to get yourself back in that ballpark of being able to really compete with them. And that's going to involve competing for quarterback talent. I think you've got to get somebody with that background to help you compete for quarterback talent. I think it makes an impact. I think it's different than if you go get an offensive coordinator who has that appeal or a quarterback's coach who has that appeal. I think you, when, when the, when the head coach himself has that appeal, I think it helps you get those guys. Yeah. I think it does help when, to get those type of quarterbacks, even if it's not necessarily his specialty, like, like with Dabo Sweeney, his specialty was wide receivers, but he's an offensive guy, which is part of the reason why they're able to pull in some of the quarterbacks they're pulling in because they're, they, they know they're going to be wide receiver talent around them. The obvious caveat being it has not worked with Harbaugh. Nick yeah. Saban's Nick Saban's a defensive guy. Saban's Saban. Kirby Smart's a defensive guy. And I think maybe people would argue, see, and he has a great team and he can't figure out the quarterback spot. Mm-hmm. I think that is too limiting. I would not like insist that it be an offensive guy. Cause you've got to believe like when Luke fickle went to Cincinnati, it's like, okay, well, Luke's a defensive guy, but how are you going to play offense? Just like Ryan day said, he wants to have a single high safety. Luke knew how he wanted to play offense. He wants to run a spread, have a quarterback who's a run threat, do this, do that. And then you hire a guy who can execute your plan, even though you're not an offensive guy per se, you know how you want to play. I want to, I want, the, the thing that I would want for Michigan the most is realness. And that's why I keep saying the trestle thing. They've just Harbaugh, the whole Harbaugh experience. I just want like the furthest away I can get from that. And PJ Fleck is a little, maybe sometimes you're coming off boring. 
Like if you're coming off Brady Hoke, it's like, could we get somebody that would wake up a press conference and get people enthused? And PJ Fleck would be that. I would make a godfather offer to this guy. I would, I, this is an offer to a guy who has been a head coach for 15 years, has won, I think could recruit the same footprint. He's not an offensive guy. I think he's real. I think of him as sort of like supersized fickle. And I think it would be potentially a home run higher for Michigan. And I think he is at the exact point of his career where maybe you could get him. And who am I talking about? Nathan, I love Nathan's not even a head coach for 15 years. Yeah. A winning head coach for 15 years. Brett Bielema. Right range. Pat Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. I think he's the guy. If he is not going to stay at Northwestern for the rest of his life, he's 45. Northwestern made the Big Ten championship game two years ago. How are they going to get better than that? What is the, You're not going to make the playoff at Northwestern ever. You're not. So unless he's going to stay there and be Northwestern's head coach for 50 years, unless that's what he wants to do, and they just built a new facility, and they are probably as good as they've ever been, which might make you say, well, maybe he, then he's not going to leave. I think it might open the door for him to leave because I think he's accomplished everything he can accomplish there. I think he set them up for success with whoever is next, just like Urban Meyer did with Ryan Day. They got the, they have more support at the university. They have a practice facility. They have a culture. He could leave Northwestern much better than what he inherited it. And listen, he inherited it a really good program that was dealing with the terrible death of its coach, but it was really successful. And then Fitzgerald had to slide in in difficult circumstances and he took it to it even another level. And I think they've talked about Fitzgerald and the bears comes up a lot. And if they fired Matt Nagy, maybe he wants to be the bears head coach, but Michigan is exact. I think exactly the kind of job he would leave for. He's in his mid forties. He could make one move. He stayed at Northwestern for 15 years. He could stay at Michigan for 15 years and try to win a national championship. Try to win a Big Ten championship, which he's not going to do where he is now. He's real, and I think I would go at him hard. I think this is the window to make it happen, and I think he would make a lot of sense for Michigan, and I think he, at times in the past, Northwestern has a history of being very open to to high-flying offenses if you get the right coordinator. So I am way in on this, and then I go Matt Campbell. I go Matt Campbell right after it. I think Matt Campbell is there whenever you want him. And I think he'd be better than what they have now, but I would go at Fitzgerald really hard first time around. And it's not because I went to Northwestern. Um, I just think he's, he's a right fit in a million different ways. And I think the Michigan fan base would love him. What do you guys think of Fitzgerald? I think what makes that interesting is, I mean, if Northwestern gets to the big 10 championship again this year, which is a realistic possibility at this point. Yeah. I mean, you get the big 10 championship and lose Ohio state to it in the last three years. And then you go to a school where, you can recruit to a level where you might be able to beat Ohio State in a game and be the reason they don't get to a Big Ten championship game every so often. So, yeah, I kind of in, – in, in the name of leaving your alma mater in a better place than you left it, that's what better way to do it than that. Yeah, I, I, I think the world of Pat Fitzgerald is a football coach. I think he's underrated nationally as a football coach, and I think what he's done at Northwestern is commendable. I'm, I do wonder a little bit, though, about – him, how, how would he feel about taking another job in the Big Ten? It's not as bad in some ways as Luke Fickle potentially taking the Michigan job and having to play Ohio State every single year. 
because you're in Michigan, you're only playing Northwestern once every few years. Um, but I, th- I, I think that's still maybe tough. And I, I think, you know, when, when you, when it's your alma mater, I think there's that, that draw of, of, you know, yes, you can't take it, but nobody's ever going to take Northwestern past that point. So you can be there and turn it into the very best version that Northwestern ever was. Um, that might be an appeal to him to stay there. Cause it's not like he's underpaid. He's, he's paid pretty well there. Right. So then you're staying until you're 70. So you're just spending your whole career at Northwestern. Or, or you and- do the NFL thing. Cause he was, yeah. I mean, they, the Packers, apparently I think there was talk about them coming after him last year when they had an opening. Um, you've heard the, the, the bears rumors. So that may just be the Chicago ties. I don't know, but um, I, maybe an NFL position like that would, would draw him. Yeah. Or, or a job like Notre Dame where you don't really ever play Northwestern. No, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, he might be waiting that out, but it's like if one of those things. Well, how long is Brian Kelly going to stay? It's hard when you're waiting it out. Sometimes it's like the job's open. Are you going to take it? So let's finish off on this and let's talk about Luke Fickle. I was talking about this with some other people the other night. Um, I think Luke Fickle has been an exceptional coach at Cincinnati for every game of his tenure there except one. And it was the week he played Ohio State. And it looked like he wanted to tear his own guts out. And it was awful. I cannot, in terms of his happiness and his enjoyment of life, I don't think he would enjoy life being the Michigan coach. I think it's too ingrained. And I know, yes, we know all the examples. We know Bo. Bo didn't play at Ohio State. Bo wasn't an assistant at Ohio State for a decade and a half. Luke is as Buckeye as you get. And I just, I don't think he would be happy at Michigan. I think it's too weird. I think he is like at the point of it's too much. And so I just, I don't think he'll even consider it. And honestly, so like you start like a guy like Pat Fitzgerald, a guy like Luke Fickle, you think about, well, when, when are they going to go? If they, if they're not going to stay at the place they are forever, well, what's going to get them to jump? For instance, I think if when James Franklin gets sick of Penn state and takes the USC job or whatever, I think Luke Fickle at Penn state actually makes a lot of sense because yes, you're playing Ohio state every year, but it answers the question of who's the big arrival with Ohio state. It wouldn't, make him sick to his stomach. It's like you go to Penn state, man, I love Ohio state, but we're going to go toe to toe with them one Saturday every year. They're our rival. We want to beat them, but it's not life and death. Michigan, Ohio state's too life and death. I think Luke fickle, if you're turning down Michigan state, you're waiting for something pretty good. Well, what's better than Michigan state. And again, does Luke want to leave his family? Luke's whole family, his wife's whole family's in the Midwest. He stayed at Ohio state forever. He's never coached outside of the Midwest. He's barely ever coached outside of the state of Ohio. Is he going to go to South Carolina? He turned down Michigan state to go to South Carolina. He turned down Michigan state to go to Arizona state. Like what's he waiting for? But I don't think it's Michigan. I really don't like, can you guys envision in your head? Honestly, Luke fickle is Michigan's head coach. No, I can't. I mean, you spent half your life, not even allowed to say the word. (laughs) And now all of a sudden you have to be the leader of that program and pretty much turn off everything that you've known about yourself as a Columbus, Ohio native at that. So you really grew up in that. No, that's just not, it it would come down to, it would be like the Cincinnati situation where what if Ohio state and Michigan are the number two and number three teams in the country, both undefeated. And the winner of this game is going to win the big 10 championship and probably be the number one seed in the playoff. And then he chokes it away because it's just too much for him to handle that week. 
And every time they get into a situation like that, he just chokes it away. And it's not because Michigan didn't have the talent because he was able to recruit at a certain level that they could compete with Ohio State. But it's just simply he thought too much about it all week, and then he blew it. I think he loves Ohio State too much. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you obviously – to me, it's an abstract question, and you actually know him and maybe have ever even heard him talk about such things like this. So, But it, it, it goes back to the Fitzgerald thing. Like, if you're going to – especially the Michigan-Ohio State thing, if you're going to take over Michigan, I feel like it's tricky. You don't probably want to go full trestle to some extent because of where Ohio State is right now. They're on a different plateau as you. But you do have to kind of come in and make it – make a big – tent pole of your program about how you're spending all year trying to beat Ohio state the same way that they do to you. And I don't know that that's really been emphasized the same way there right now. So can you really come in and stomach that, uh, it, you know, every single day of your life thinking you're waking up to beat Ohio state. Like I, that just seems tough. And I think it would be tough for Pat Fitzgerald even once every four years at Michigan. So what, why do you think that would be for Pat, for Luke fickle to do it every single year, every single day for, for Michigan? All right, so let's make our final, final predictions now. This is a market down Monday version of a midweek Thursday Ohio State podcast. Who will be Michigan's coach on the first game of the 2021 season? So it could match the guy that you said was your pick, or maybe it doesn't match that. Nathan, we'll start with you. Who will be, and maybe the answer is Jim Harbaugh. Who will be Michigan's coach first game next year? Um, uh, Matt Campbell. Steven? Yeah, it's too obvious of a choice, Matt Campbell. I agree. I think it is. And it's like sometimes obvious is right. I think he fits a lot of their needs. I think he'd take it in a heartbeat. I think it's a cultural fit. I think he's established the kind of coach he is. I think he's a winning coach. I think he'd fit a lot of what they want to do. And I just think the Harbaugh era is about to close. All right. That was our big 300th episode. That was actually like our 519th episode or whatever whatever it is. We just There's so much talking. I, do you think I spent a year of my life talking on this podcast at this point? I guess not. Five hundred nineteen episodes. That'll only talk. be like a thousand hours ish. Yeah. All right, I'll get there someday. All right, so thanks everybody for listening. Try the text at six one four three five zero three three one five. We'll do another Thursday night Zoom, or should we? Let me ask you this: Would this be a week to take a break from the Zoom? Maybe. It's a pandemic. We're, we're it's after- Rutgers, I think it's is what you're actually saying. <laughs> I was I up till that's the first time I've said the word Rutgers this week. I was up till 5 a.m. watching election results, so I'm a little I'm a little toasted. You yeah. know what? Executive, with we just the three of us just made the decision. We'll tell our texters we're going to take a break on the Zoom call this week. We will do our Friday prediction show. We'll talk about Rutgers. That'll allow us to talk about a couple other little things if we want to as we prepare to make predictions for a game that of course they're going to win by 70. So we'll take a break from the zoom this week, and then we'll get back to it next week with a game that really matters against Maryland. Oh my God, the schedule. Ugh, it's going to be the death of us. Anyway, that was fun. We'll just talk about Harbaugh until they fire him every week. It's the Jim Harbaugh podcast. Um, thanks to you guys for listening. Read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. We could use a fresh review. The last review that's up on Apple podcasts still is about, if we had an Anchorman 2 style battle to the death with the rest of the Ohio State beat, who would win? We will get into that. Maybe we'll do that on the Friday Rutgers how, preview. How does that not made it into any of the rapid fires? That seems like it should be. That may deserve its own big Thursday. I mean, it's just one of those things. I'm not so eager to talk about how like our beat would definitely be killed first. 
because half the other beats have like former players. And as someone who has played tennis with Bill Rabinowitz, and that dude is like in his mid fifties, that guy is an athlete. That guy can play tennis. I've played golf with that guy. He beats the, the tar out of the ball. Bill Rabinowitz would kill me personally in the first 11 seconds of the Ohio State beat showdown. So let's have a great discussion about how Doug's the first one to die. And then Nathan's the second one to die. And then Stevens left to fight the rest of the beat by himself. We'll do that for They 40- get me out of here just because they get the whole team gone. <laughs> no, I, for real. It would be first Doug dies first. Nathan dies second. Steven assesses the situation, turns around and runs and it's over and that's it. Well, but uh, I think I think the reason you would die first is because there would be this like truce between everybody else on the beat that yeah. everyone decides we're getting dug first. Like everyone would just focus all their attention on you. I think Steven and I could both escape possible just run in opposite directions. Give ourselves I, a 50 50 chance. I the real could, question is how long does Tim, Tim may last because he's able to talk himself out of situations. Hey, uh, you don't want to kill me, man. Hey, yep. what if I, I mean, I mean, forever. Yeah, before you kill me, just, just be quickies before you kill me. And, yep. But he's beloved. I mean, who would want to kill Tim? Yeah. I mean, there'd be a line. It would be like, could we, could we form a single file line during the melee? Please line up to kill Doug. I mean, it would be, it'd be like a Disney world. It's like, oh, I'm in the 45 minute line to kill Doug. Yeah, it's so, a number. Yeah. <laughs> like at a deli. Yeah. <laughs> number six, number six to kill Doug. Well, so, okay, we'll do that on the Friday Rutgers. We'll all say our, it's like, Nathan, who do you got? Uh, I got Ohio State 61 to three. Okay, so when would Doug die? That'll be the whole Friday preview pod. But thanks to you guys for listening to episode 300. For Steven and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.